I, I'm weird, Courtney. You'll you'll find that out as we start talking here. You'll find it. But you have a giant directed by Wes Anderson flag behind you oh, hanging yes, on I your do. wall. So I'm pretty sure you're weird too. Oh yeah, and then <laughs> no, right I over here we got Star Wars. So so I feel you. I love movies. Beautiful. And I feel a little bit weird. I have listened to your other episodes, and so I am aware, Sean, that you have a thing about trailers. <laughs> now I feel a little weird admitting that. But, um, but I get. Uh, you're the first person I've ever talked to that's listened oh. to the show, so this is this is quite strange. <laughs> oh no, there's me and another girlfriend of mine, um, and she texted me. She's like, "Is it weird for me to tell your friend Josh that I really like his podcast?" And I'm like, no, you should. It was Katie, Hannah, and Josh. And um, I was like, no, you should tell him. He would love to hear that. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, then I just told you instead. But she really liked your Annihilation uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, that, that one went deep, too. Yeah. They all do. I, I keep trying to have, like, a nice, breezy, 90-minute episode with Josh. And I just don't think we're capable of oh, that. Oh, I get it. I 100% get it. Like. I, I feel like I always relate. I'll like, yeah, this movie meant a lot to me because when I was 13 and saw it, I fell in love for the first time. And it just goes off to like, this is why I love this movie <laughs> at this scene. I learned how to cry in public before before this movie. But uh, so I understand. <laughs> it made me, Amelie today made me think of the tangents that Josh oh, and I, I go on. I love that. Where, like, how her imagination works, where she's just imagining this wild shit that's, like, so far on the, like, the other side of the planet as far as what the plot's yeah. doing. That's kind of what this show is. Sometimes I feel like we're, mm -hmm. we get so sidetracked that I forget we're even talking about movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's the beautiful it thing. It is. Movie. Like, today, we haven't even mentioned, I just mentioned the movie title, and I don't know how far into this that episode we are. Uh-huh. It's a ways. <laughs> Welcome to Nashville, CA. Um, I'm Sean. I have my co-host Josh with me. Say hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. And Josh, would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes, uh, we have today joining us my dear friend Courtney, uh, who is a stand-up here in Nashville. She's uh, also a writer uh, and a podcaster. Very funny. Um, I've seen her in a couple shows and listened to her uh, quite a bit and i recommend everyone else do the same uh just find her out there on the interwebs i'm sure we'll plug her stuff later so courtney how are you today i'm i think i'm doing good i like i, I mentioned to josh i just woken up from a nap a little <laughs> bit ago so who knows what happened during that time period but as far as i'm concerned i feel pretty good and refreshed <laughs> how are you guys yeah, don't, don't look at the state of the world no don't, no don't no never that. no i like to wake up as like oh everything's fine <laughs> and great like it's always that nice little moment in between like waking up and then remembering that your life might be shitty and you want to sleep while it was shitty and you're like, oh, everything's fine. Like, oh, shit. No, no. It still sucks. Still got things to deal with. Do you know about that sweet spot? You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. I, sh I always, That's what I chase every day. It's just like that 10 seconds of like, oh, everything's good. Oh, wait. Nope. You got to go to work. That small liminal space in between the two states right there. Yes. 
Yeah. Isn't that what that new Hugh Jackman movie is about? Remin reminiscing or something? <laughs> I don't know what it's about. <laughs> that is a trailer I have yeah, seen because I know I do not care to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, what I liked about that trailer was just like with every like punch and like whatever it was coordinated with the music in the trailer. And I thought it was so funny, but also like, that's pretty yes. badass still. I was like, I was getting pumped up for it, but I'm like, no, this is so stupid. And I, you know what movie did that awesomely is Transporter really? 1. Like, it was like Jason Statham's first movie where like, he was like an action star. There's some hip hop editing in that movie where his fights are choreographed to the beat of these hip hop songs and whoever edited it kicks ass because there's some really cool shit in Transporter 1. The series gets, it suffers for the problem where like, once it gets a budget, all mm -hmm. of the charm is immediately out the window gone, oh, yeah. and it becomes like a stupid CGI fest. Mm -hmm. But when they had to film on a low budget with Jason Statham just kicking people, it was pretty it was pretty cool. <laughs> so, uh, we have... <laughs> Courtney's our guest today, and so as we do with our guests, we let them choose the first movie, and then Josh and I pick the, the pairing, the response movie. And so, Courtney, why did you choose... Royal Tenenbaums today. It is my absolute favorite movie. And um, I watch it maybe once a month, if not more. And uh, I learned, I feel like I notice something different each time or I, or something is, is more profound to me each time. Um, it's, uh, I feel like as far as like being a fan of Wes Anderson, I think that was like the first movie, like where he was kind of figuring out his style and he pretty much had it before he went full on into like who Wes Anderson is, you know? Um, and I think just the storyline is really, um, is really beautiful. I know he, he, even he mentions he borrowed a lot from like, uh, uh, Salinger, you know, from his writings and stuff. But I think at the time, granted, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't speak to a whole lot cause I think I was like eight when the movie came out originally, but I think at that time period, um, I think that was <laughs> just something you really hadn't seen a whole lot in movies. And, um, I, and yeah, I very to me, very relatable characters in every sense. All three of the Tenenbaum kids I relate to a lot in, um, in, in various ways. And so it just, it really like, it really just struck a chord in my heart. And it's, and it's been my favorite movie ever since I've seen it, which was like when I was a teenager. So it's, I go as Margot Tenenbaum almost every year for Halloween and... That's a great costume. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've started bleaching my hair just because I'm like, wigs are expensive. So, got to I was going to say, you have the hair to pull it Thank off. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. When this uh, episode so airs... I, I can... So, do you have the coat? You have a big fuzzy I have the fur, fur coat. coat. I have the polo dress, the loafers, the shoes. I even ordered like a little like her little playbook like off of Etsy. So, when this episode airs, I'm more than happy to send you like photos of me dressed as... Uh, Steve Zissou, Margot Tenenbaum, um, Max Fisher. Uh, like, I have all of them from Halloween's in the past, but. Uh, now, do you smoke or do you, are you carrying herbal cigarettes with you? I, I do see are, are you going all the way? There no, you go. I haven't oh, cut nice. My you do go all the way. I haven't cut my finger off oh, yet, though. Finger. No, that's still very much attached. Yeah. Um, but I do do I do the CBD cigs, um, and for Halloween I'll always get like a pack of cigarettes, and then that makes you instantly the hit at any Halloween party because it's like, can I bomb a cigarette? And I'm like, yes, I won't smoke them, so take as many as you would like. So, so yeah, that's a good way to make friends. It is. 
I used to hand out cigarettes like they were candy yeah. when I smoked. Oh my! I in San Francisco, I just hand them out left, right, and center. Do you and feel I figured like maybe someday down the road, somehow this will come back to pay dividends of like, oh, this person will be able to help me out of a jam or something like, oh, you gave me three smokes that one time, you know? Or yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was curious. I was going to ask, is it because do you feel like you had a hard time making friends as a kid or was it because you the good, more the good for the karma and the good fortune? Is that very is that too deep of a question about cigarettes? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> cigarettes were social when I lived in a yeah. city. And so it's like yeah. it's a funny switch where when I was, you know, in the mid 2000s, I moved to San Francisco or late 2000s. And so I was like. Oh, there's smokers on every single block outside every bar. It's like a thing that you do with a bunch of people. And now I live yeah. in a small town and it's the most isolating thing in the world to smoke cigarettes. So, yeah. Um, so, so it kind of like that was a big reason for me to stop was like people say they smoke socially, but there is no mm -hmm. social smoking anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can still it's come smoke. to bars in Nashville. There's, I think yeah. there's still somewhere you can smoke. Um, that was yes. like a dream of mine back yes. when I did smoke. I'd see movies and just be like, God, if a bartender would just slide an ashtray over to me right now, I'd be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I did a show recently where the you could smoke in the bar, and then me being with laying with my CBD cigarettes, I was just sitting, standing there, thinking I was hot shit, and it was just it was just CBD. It was not anything. Nothing happened. I felt fine. I got a sinus infection Yeah, afterwards. but still, just to smoke a CBD cigarette indoors would make me happy. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about... I, I, I think it immediately makes you feel like Charles Bronson when you're smoking indoors. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, what is your history? Do you have any history with uh, uh, Wes Anderson at large or Ten Bombs in particular? Not a ton. Like, I've seen most of his movies once. I've seen Darjeeling Limited mm -hmm. uh, two times. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is great. I really meant to see The Isle of Dogs. Um, he's a guy that I really appreciate his work. I've never seen Steve Zissou. Um, mm -hmm. Never seen Moonrise. I, I love what I've seen, but for some reason, I just don't find myself getting pulled to watch Wes Anderson. And I think for me, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like it's like appreciating Renaissance era art, where it's like, this thing is so beautiful and so technically astounding, but the, the color themes or like the tones or whatever, the story is not like something that like immediately jumps out to me and says like this is something that you're gonna like this is something that's made for you yeah like a movie like you're next or something that's yeah. like right <laughs> up my alley yeah. but i think also as <laughs> right. i've gotten older wes anderson movies make more and more sense especially today um watching tenenbaums today having dealt with my own father stuff and the last time i saw this movie was 10 to 15 years ago or something yeah so it was uh, it was a lot more impactful and meaningful, and I think that's one of the coolest things about growing up with movies and watching them again and giving them time to breathe is that you're not the same person time to time that you watch a movie. Yeah. And this time I had a completely different response than the first time I did. So I um I would like to watch more of his stuff. I really would. Um. His 
I don't know of many people that match his technique. Yeah. Like, honestly, on a skill level basis, I would say maybe just on that, like, technical editing camera placement thing, it would be like Edgar Wright is someone else is, who's doing yeah. stuff like him. Uh, it, it seems like such a pain mm -hmm. in the ass to set up his yeah. camera shots like he does, you know. I mean, I'm sure you, you guys know more about this than I do, but, I mean, Josh, uh, what do you think of wes anderson in general and in his style and what he does because it's very pronounced it's something where i think if you don't get into the vibe of it right away mm -hmm. it can be off-putting or hold you at an arm's mm -hmm. length because the style is so in your face um but on the other hand it's it's like all encompassing when you're in it like once you get into the vibe of it i feel like he creates his own entire world in every single movie. And uh, Courtney, you're right. Like on Bottle Rocket yeah. and Rushmore, he didn't really have that as much. Right. Agreed. I mean, Rushmore is much more stylized than Bottle Rocket. And then this yeah. is like a huge leap forward. This was his third, um, yes. his third and feature. It feels. Okay. Um, even... Yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Um, and all of the first three were, were, Oh yeah. All of the first three were, uh, co-written with him and Owen Wilson as well, um, which gives kind of a different flavor to that trilogy of movies. I, I did think. not know Owen Wilson was a co-writer on this until um, the credits rolled mm -hmm. at the end. And I was very surprised, but uh, there's also so much kind of, I don't know, Owen Wilson quirk mm -hmm. throughout some of this movie that it, it makes it makes right. a lot of sense. Agreed. I remember reading um, Gene, when Gene Hackman was approached for the role when Wes Anderson was like, hey, I really need you to be the father figure. He Gene Hackman read the script and he was just like, what what the fuck is this? Because no one had really done something like that before. And he's just like, I don't understand what you want from me. <laughs> and I think it took a lot. I think it took like I think because at the time. Right. Uh, Luke Wilson and Gwyneth Paltrow were dating. So that was an easy. Obviously, being an, a, a Wilson brother getting his you know getting all those guys on board was easy and i think it was a matter of like getting those bigger names mm -hmm. i believe maybe i got it reversed but getting some of those bigger names was, was able was more enticing to gene hackman to be like oh these more reputable people i think gwyneth had just won her oscar for shakespeare in love like the year before you know angelica mm -hmm. uh, hudson all, all these people you know what i mean like it, um who and uh, obviously the wilson brothers at the time too like i think yeah, that was just kind of like uh, it took a lot to get him to be like, yeah, I'll do this movie because <laughs> I don't understand what, what's going on. Wes Anderson. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Courtney. Wes Anderson was courageous to put this cast together just because he has three notorious yeah. pain in the ass actors with Gene Hackman, Angelica yes. Houston and Bill Murray. Like those are three notorious, hard yep. to work with, hard to deal with people. But... He gets all of them yeah. together, and I don't. I don't know how hard it was as like on the production side, but the results speak for themselves. I, I think it's it's a wonderful cast. This is one of the stronger, um, uh, what's it called when you have a large body of actors working together? This ensemble. This is one of the stronger ensemble castings I've seen in yeah. a while. And I think that he managed to get. Um, performances mm -hmm. out of uh, especially gene hackman like gene hackman doesn't do vulnerable very very much no i mean in even when he does in something like the conversation mm -hmm. 
it's he's a very guarded person and you see that he's weak behind that. It's not you don't get to see anything crack open. And I feel like in this movie towards the end, especially you do, you see those moments of humanity and uh, just a little bit more of of the person behind the kind of the tough guy facade. Gene Hackman is beautiful in the last 30 30 minutes or so of this movie, I'd say, where it's like, God, I wish I wish at some point like my dad had made that turn in my own personal life. Where we were then able to like start to rekindle mm-hmm. and get back in touch with each other and stuff. Um, the way this movie closes out, it hits a lot of personal notes yeah. in a great way. But I think Gene Hackman is great in this, especially because they really set you up to dislike right. him. Um, whether it's just being an asshole or as someone... What does someone say? I don't think you're an asshole. I think you're a son of a bitch. Danny Glover says that. Which is a great way to put it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's a that's a pretty that's a pretty great way to put it. I really liked that line a lot. Me too. Uh, That reminded me like the Clooney line in from Dust Till Dawn, where he says, "I may be an asshole, but I'm not a fucking asshole." Yeah. (laughs) There's a distinction. So let's try to kind of walk through the movie here and um, come up with some of your thoughts as we go through it. Um, yeah. I'll try to be a little list zippy, of but on Instagram. You know, well, we'll see. How I, that I'm going to start you before you even start. Cause I know you're going <laughs> to yes. skip the touchstone oh, logo yeah. and the touchstone logo for me. It just Ooh, makes me feel like yes. being a kid popping a VHS in of like mm, home alone yeah. or something like that. Uh-huh. That blue bar that shoots across the bottom of the screen immediately feels cozy to me. Oh yeah. Yes. So we are introduced via a narrator um, played by Alec Baldwin, uh, of all people, with his fantastic voice, uh, to the backstory of the Tenenbaum family. Uh, We learn that Royal Tenenbaum, the patriarch of the family, left his wife and three children at the age of 45. His wife, Ethelene, is left alone to take care of the kids, and their education becomes her highest priority. The couple separates, but never formally divorces. Uh, The children are Chaz, who is a wizard at finance from an early age and made money by inventing Dalmatian mice, of all things, whatever that is, whatever those are. Right. Mice with dots, Josh. Mice with dots. Get with the the program. They're adorable. I want some. (laughs) They are cute. They are cute. Uh, Margot who Royal never fails to note is actually adopted, is a genius playwright who was awarded a grant as a high school freshman. Uh, Richie uh, is a championship tennis player from the third grade onward. He also has a crush on his adopted sister. Uh, Royal is closest to Richie and definitely gives him preferential treatment. Uh, Everyone kind of resents that. And the fourth kind of uh adopted <laughs> extra extra child who comes along with the family is Eli Cash who uh is the neighbor across the street. Uh I love the little glimpses into Eli's um uh, apartment. Just you only yes. ever see it a couple times, but it's like the uh Tenenbaums have this whole house that looks like it takes up the whole block and Eli's mm-hmm. apartment looks like it's two windows. <laughs> It's just so small and everything is cramped in there. But Eli is Richie's best friend uh, and grows up to be a success in his own right uh, by writing a 
Western book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like, love, yeah, like just it's such a great weird thing that like in this world uh, he achieves like huge literary sta- standing by writing a Western. Yeah, but it's also what if Custard's last stand wasn't his last right, stand yes. or i think that's his next yeah. book maybe <laughs> no it's well everyone knows that custer died at little bighorn what this yeah. book presupposes is maybe he didn't maybe not <laughs> which is question dot 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 my favorite lines from anything ever it's so good yeah. later on th- there's a little montage of owen wilson and there's a picture of him on the cover of a magazine or something, mm-hmm. and he's holding a snake that's been chopped in half. Yes. I just love that picture. It's This I'm... guy's living like like an urban cowboy life crossed with methamphetamine or something. Yes. <laughs> Man, and that, to your point uh, earlier, uh, Sean, about like just a pain in the ass to shoot everything, like the details of all of that, it's like, who has the time to t- to like make all those little like t- take a picture of owen wilson with like a snake cut in half you know and stuff and i feel like yes. wes is probably a practical effects guy so he's gonna go f- try and make things as like genuine as possible there's it's- about five thousand insert shots in this movie yeah. that are all taking place in entirely different costumes entirely different locations around the world yeah with different actor like it's it's incredible the amount of just coordination that would go into creating something like this movie. Yeah, agreed. That's, I think of that like the, the all the camera setups they had to do to do even um, the montage that comes a little later of Ethel's suitors. Um, right. We meet the guys who have been vying for Ethel's heart after Royal broke up with her, and they're just static shots. But everything in the frame is so perfect and composed and created to be on that screen that it's like i can't imagine how much it takes for this three second gag that we right. see yeah it's so it's i i love the world he creates with it yeah i do too and like i bought the uh i bought like the screenplay um from a bookshop and it's uh and just reading through it yeah. and it's like and i've watched several videos about like if you're a writer director it's easier to get away with like a lot of like, uh, like, I guess like I'm not super familiar, but like notes within like, okay, like exterior, this and this, mm-hmm. this is how you're going to dre- be dressed in X, Y, and Z. Like if you're doing both of those, it's a lot easier than if you're just the writer. And so like they use Wes Anderson as an yes. example. I think they use Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, it's like, this is like very little dialogue, a ton of setup and like for like, a, like a two second mm-hmm. scene. But it works for him because he he does both of those. He directs and writes it, and but not many people can really get away with that kind of stuff if you're trying to break into the industry. Yeah, as a oh, writer, God. both him Sorry, and Tarantino mm-hmm. um, leave huge blocks of text on the page. Yeah, um, because mm-hmm. they both they both direct on the page. They're directing exactly what you're going to see right. on the page for the most part, and. That's a huge no-no that mm. you're always told when you go to like screenwriting class or screenwriting right. groups is like, don't direct the director. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. major faux pas. As a director, if I look at this script, <laughs> I shudder in horror. Like, if I'm an <laughs> yeah. established director, why would I right. want to do this to myself? Why would I want to put this amount, this god-awful amount of work on my own right. plate? So yeah, this this definitely seems like one of those projects that only happens when it's kind of auteured and one person or 
a, a pair of people are at the helm of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, chapter one, this also, this movie is broken into an, uh, prologue epilogue and several chapters. Um, and then like one random other title card, yeah, which kind of cracks me up. Um, the, uh, it's the only one is the, uh, cemetery one, right? Mm-hmm. That's not just a chapter hitting, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit, but. Royal, once again, the father of the family, is getting kicked out of the swanky hotel that he's lived at for the last 22 years. Uh, No one in his family has spoken to him in the last three years. Uh, Richie has spent several years on a ship traveling the world after a meltdown on tennis court. We catch up with him as he's dictating a telegraph to be sent to Eli Cash. He says he's incredibly lonely, and he thinks he's in love with Margot. Uh... Eli is an assistant professor of literature and just released his second novel. Uh, and we covered his great. He's so presumptuous it, with his newfound celebrity mm. that he has always wanted his whole life so badly to belong. And now he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and he's become I, I love how everyone like wears their uniform throughout yes. the movie. And like you can track their their character's state. Mm-hmm by like the amount of disheveled or in and out of their uniform they are in Eli's uniform is ridiculous uh fringed leather jacket with a huge cowboy yeah. hat and a like a a rhinestone almost country shirt looking it's so good agreed so perfect for Owen Wilson yes. just for an Owen Wilson character to be dressed like a douchebag cowboy right. is I wonderful agree. It's, per- it's so niche and so perfect it's uh, something like I can totally see here in, in Nashville, yes. you can see uh, artists who are starting out who like almost pattern themselves after this character exactly. It's just the chef's kiss when I get those yes. press releases <laughs> for those artists. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't quite thought of the amount of bad country music you guys A are lot. exposed to yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, that must be extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, Josh definitely more than me. I try to avoid it as much as I can, but man, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes you just you have to let it let the process take over. So, Courtney, when people come to town, do you ever like? Do they ever want to go downtown? They d- when you have friends or family yeah, come through. Yeah, they do. And I, if if we're gonna do downtown, or I suggest it. Excuse me. It's gonna be. I'll say Roberts or Acme. I like the two. I'm like. Those are the two most, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, genuine uh, representations of, like, downtown that aren't owned by, like, I don't know. I don't even know who owns bars downtown anymore, but I don't think I like them. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like. I I just know I don't think we would get along just fundamentally as people. Um, but Roberts and Acme are the two. You don't want to go to Kid that, Rock's yeah, that, COVID I was club? Say, that's, he's one of them. I was thinking Jimmy Buffett and Kid Rock. And I'm like, no, thank yep. you. Fuck you too. I mean, yep. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't, I'll say it. I'll say it in public. I don't care. It's going to be wow. recorded forever. Mom, mom, I'm sorry if you ever actually listen to this podcast and hear this episode. I don't endorse Courtney's view of Jimmy Buffett. My parents were both massive parrot heads and uh, my mom, not as much anymore. But like as a kid, anytime we were in the backyard, like Jimmy Buffett, songs you know by heart, Margaritaville, (laughs) Mm -hmm. always, 
Always. I know so many of his goddamn songs. And as a kid, I, like, as a teenager, I was like, fuck Jimmy Buffett, he sucks, blah. And then as, like, a 34-year-old man, now I'm like, yeah, right. I kind of get the appeal of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, it's, like, easy listening. Like, if you have not a care in the world, if you just... Like, if you've just woken up from a nap, I feel like that is the music you want to listen to. <laughs> well, there's, I think there's also a difference between Jimmy Buffett's music and Jimmy Buffett, the guy who's put Margaritaville on every single piece <sighs> of garbage merchandise you can find. Yes. And then sold it for exorbitant yeah, amounts I, yeah. of money. So, remember that margar- everyone had the Margaritaville margarita <sighs> maker? It's like... You have this thing that takes up yes. eight square, like eight cubic feet of kitchen space <laughs> to make margaritas only. Like, I know, what's going I know. on here? Why? How often are you drinking margaritas? Like, I get, uh, I understand five o'clock somewhere, Margaritaville. <laughs> I understand the logic. I get it. But that's, uh, I mean, you also got to like make toast and like, you know, pizza bagels and stuff at some point. I don't know. Where are you going to make those? <laughs> And the blender is yeah. just sitting in the and corner like, looking yeah, you're sad. Rather, you'd rather crack open like a cold one instead of like do, getting the limes out and like the margarita mix. Like that's just a lot. Of, I mean, if I want to get hammered, I'm not going to put that much effort into it. Frankly, this is being personal. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. No, Josh. Uh, you probably haven't experienced the tequila hangover in a while, but. With margaritas, my God, if you just oh. drink margaritas, the amount of acid yeah. you're consuming mm-hmm. with the margarita mix and the lime <laughs> juice or whatever, i it's unbelievable. My stomach yeah. feels like it's corroding from the inside out when I wake up. So like, <laughs> I don't I don't mess around with it anymore. Now, after the after the age of 25, like don't even bother, you know, <laughs> I drink beer and every once in a while I'll sip on yeah. some bourbon or rye or something like that. But that's. That's it. No more shots for me. No more like super hard drinking. Uh, it does. It all hurts too much. Yeah. And I just get sleepy. Yeah, it's not, I just you're get not... so sleepy. Get drunk and then I just want to go take a nap. That's like it's like the the party days are over now. I just want to lie down to a movie and watch five minutes yeah, of it and yeah, wake up I, to the credits. It is such, oh, a, that's good such a good I, way to take a I nap. I did that uh, before this. I fell asleep and I. This is not highbrow. I do have better. I'm not. I'm not gonna even gonna justify my taste. Whatever. I like what I like. I was watching rewatch. I was rewatching Workaholics, a oh, TV show okay, on Comedy Central, and I started with the credits for an, uh, season two, episode five. Woke up season two, episode ten. At the end, <laughs> was a great nap, and I'm sure it was super funny. <laughs> nice. So that show, season season one and They're two perfect. of that show are incredible, and it, it kind of. Takes a nosedive for me after that, but those first two, I'm with They're you. They're so really good. good. I personally, most recently, took a nap with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five: The Dream Child, mm-hmm. and I didn't even make it far enough to know what happens. <laughs> like I, I literally fell asleep to Robert England doing some introductory. I am Freddy. Uh, show me your tits. <laughs> Just. <laughs> And then I woke up. I woke up, and it was credits. Yeah. So you got the best it. part of the movie, actually. Got... That's all you uh, needed. With Dream Child, yes. I I recall hating Dream Child from when we watched it for the Gorley and Rust podcast. Yeah. Um, for me, I think Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like one through four are all good and watchable, and then mm-hmm. after that, 
I don't really care for any of it. Like, sort of like Freddy versus Jason, maybe, but most of those later Freddies are all kind of bummers. Even New yeah. Nightmare. Oh, I don't like New Nightmare. Okay. That's that's uh-uh. one that most people like. If, to me, it feels like a TV movie, essentially. New Nightmare is is like um, it's like a dry run for Scream, mm-hmm. I think. And also, I'm I I hate to like bag on individual actors, but Heather Langenkamp can't carry a movie, <laughs> and in that movie, she really she really contributes to the made for TV feel of that movie. Yeah, I can see that. And there's a kid, there's that kid in it, Mm -hmm. and like, it's like a Babadook kid kind of situation (laughs) going on. Well, because he's literally at one point standing on top of like a jungle gym playground thing, which same thing happens with the Babadook, but yeah, that movie, it's, yeah, I think it had, I watched it in 1997 or whenever it came out, it probably would have blown my 11 year old mind, but yeah, how many meta commentary fourth wall breaking pieces of media have we all seen now you know it's yes it's it's yeah. hard to shock mm-hmm. a viewer these days right we've all seen deadpool so you know that ruined it for right. everyone in that industry deadpool set the bar so high nobody can ever <laughs> eclipse deadpool that's it yeah <laughs> you know tarkovsky spielberg all these guys tried yeah, but, man, but there's deadpool, only one though. dead Man, there's only yeah, there's only one Deadpool. Actually, there's two Deadpools, and the second one's even better. I was say, there's D, yeah, DP one and DP two. P two, yeah. God, um, <laughs> that's how they marketed it. I'm not a those, total perv. I promise. I, I think I, I think I was kind of with Ryan Reynolds when he was an underground actor making Waiting, and yeah. Van Wilder, and it's like. All right, this guy like he's funny and stuff. He's always mm-hmm. doing the same thing, but like, I appreciate what he does. And then Deadpool one came out. I was like, oh, yeah, for a super movie hero, or for a superhero movie, <laughs> it's pretty funny. And I think, but now he's getting like the Chris Pratt treatment where everything is Ryan Reynolds and it's all too yep. much. And I've completely one eighty'd. And now I'm done with Ryan Reynolds and I can't handle his shtick anymore. Yeah. I feel that I really liked him in uh, Just Friends. I know that's a very problematic problematic movie now, but as a teenager, I thought that was a great movie. Anna Ferris, Amy Smart, Ryan Reynolds. It was a great cast. I think maybe Chris Pratt. No, Chris Pratt was in a different Anna Ferris movie. Regardless, um, so I liked him as like doing the indie like comedy movies. I thought those were super fun. And then, but I was just like, yeah, but this guy just does the same. Yeah, like you said, does the same thing. And then he got super famous, and I'm like, why? Why is this guy? He's like. He's fine. It's across the board. Just fine. Like free guy is a good idea, mm-hmm. but the execution of it looks like a generic Ryan Reynolds action movie with some ready player one mixed in yeah. or something. I, I don't know the idea of like an AI awakening. You could take that so many directions, but the fact that they went PG 13 action movie really turns me yeah, off. It's like you have like Westworld, yeah, uh, yeah, you have uh, Wreck It Ralph is what I thought of too when I saw like the trailer. Oh yeah, uh, you know, and I'm like, or you can do some weird Black yeah. Mirror shit and go real dark and weird. Like, it's it's a really cool idea. Mm, I agree. But then just to do that, uh... I agree. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm gonna watch the movie, and I 
it's guaranteed it's gonna make oh, me 100%. cry i'm gonna, I'm gonna love it and i'm gonna have to come on here and make a podcast <laughs> amendment and make some mea culpas yes and we'll have to get ryan reynolds on here so i can apologize to him in person obviously <laughs> um and when you do that episode when you do the ryan reynolds double feature pl- please bring me back on so i can also apologize for calling him <laughs> mediocre across the board okay but courtney i'm gonna make you watch buried <laughs> Okay. <laughs> have you have you oh, seen yeah. Barry? I forgot about that it. film. I've not seen it. Be ready, ready to spend ninety minutes in a coffin with Ryan Reynolds. Oh hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's actually a pretty really? damn good movie, um, but it's not pleasant yeah. at all. It's not like it's just claustrophobic. And there's one thing that I'll kind of still get me in horror movies, and that's underground claustrophobia. Yeah. I just watched a movie the other day based on that old internet story called Ted the mm. Caver, which was like an old yeah. internet yeah. blog, you guys know it, where a guy finds a, a cave and there's a virgin passage and he and his brother chip away, chip away for weeks and they go in there and it's all spooky and there's some kind of noises. Mm-hmm. There was a movie based on that called uh, Living Dark from 2013 that I just watched. And for an indie movie, it did a good job, but God, those parts where he's... He's got his hands at his hips, and he's sliding along through this shoulder gap-sized hole with a mountain on top of him, and he can't breathe. Oh, Oh, God. Terrifies me. Yeah. Terrifies me. Yeah, I'm with you on that, like being buried alive. I can't deal with that. No, I can't. I don't know. Like, I'd rather just, like, have, like, a murderer chasing after me, because, like, the likelihood of that happening is not high. <laughs> Being buried alive is kind of a higher statistic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Sean, which movie is better, um, buried or stuck? <laughs> That's a good question. We should have just done that those is two a good movies. Question. I think stuck. <laughs> stuck. What is that Mina Savari who stars in that? Was it? Yeah, it was a story. She, she, she was one of the American Pie oh. actresses. Yeah. Um, and she has very disturbing cornrows oh in that movie. They ha- those cornrows have stuck with me more than anything else that disturbed <laughs> me. Um, no, I think I think Buried's a better movie, probably. Really? I I don't know. I haven't seen Stuck in fifteen years. Either. I've seen them both once, okay. both about yeah. fifteen years ago. So I've I don't not seen know. either. Are you a huge proponent of Stuck? So Stuck, Stuck is, is a story, it's based on a true story of a woman who hit a homeless guy, and he went through her windshield, and then she parked her car in her garage and oh left my, him there oh to God. die, yes. uh, because she oh didn't know God. what to do. And so they made a oh movie about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Stuck is is a Stuart Gordon movie, which... I appreciate. Wait, he did Reanimator? Yes. I did not realize that was Stuart Gordon. Okay. Uh, and it features Stephen Ray. Uh, he's the, the titular stuck <laughs> individual. <laughs> uh, who, he was great in everything from the crying game to the company of wolves to fear.com. Yeah. I mean. This is standout and everything. Quite the resume. <laughs> yes. Fear.com. So, I, I don't know. I haven't seen Buried, Buried, 
but I am I would be team stuck uh, most I need likely. to watch both at this point. They both sound highly intriguing and a good use of my free time. Yes. <laughs> They're great to nap to, I'll Hell tell you yes. that. Yes. Always looking for something to nap so, to. <laughs> <laughs> uh finish catching up with the Tenenbaum oh, yeah. kids. We should talk uh, about Margo that. is married to the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you no, see, now I you see what this. happens, Courtney. I love please now you let me see just what come happens. on every week. <laughs> we were just we were just living yes. in an Amelie dream world I for a few it. minutes there. This is how I live my life. <laughs> it's exactly like the converse, like having the conversation after you watch the movie <laughs> in the parking lot with your friends until like three oh o'clock in the morning and you're like, Oh yes. shit, I have work yes, tomorrow. I yep. I have those vivid <laughs> memories as well. Standing outside of a regal cinema. Yep. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Yes. What's, the, uh, what's our time code in the movie right now? <laughs> oh, we're about uh, two and a half minutes into the film. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't note it down, but I just, I just, I just looked at the clock and I was oh shocked. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Time flies yeah, when you're having oh fun, children. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Margot is married to the writer and neurologist Raleigh St. Clair. Margot hasn't written a play in seven years. Raleigh is conducting a bunch of studies on (laughs) one poor young man Mm -hmm. uh, named Dudley. (laughs) Yes. Who is adorable and has all of the problems. Um, uh, We catch up with Chaz in the middle of an emergency drill with his two sons. Uh, we find out that his wife died in a plane crash six months earlier, and it's driven Chaz into a constant state of panic uh, and worry about his family's safety. Uh, and then we see Ethelene and her accountant, Henry, and Henry very sweetly and bumblingly proposes to Ethelene. Um, but he tries to make it seem like it's about <laughs> taxes <laughs> because he is the accountant yeah. after all. So it's a very, uh, I think, adorable starting on safe turf for him place to propose to somebody from. When Ben Stiller uh, mm-hmm. is when Chaz is doing that fire drill, the kids mm-hmm. go when they're out front. They go, "We left Buckley," yeah. and Ben Stiller goes, "Doesn't matter." Yeah. I know, savage. <laughs> Damn man! And as we see later, uh, sadly, yes. that seems yeah. to be kind of true with this family. Yeah, poor Buckley kind of seems to have drawn the short straw. Yes. After surviving a plane crash where he's found miles from the. They said he was thousands of yeah, yards. yards. Which yes. is miles. <laughs> the dog was miles in his crate. I love that little yes. insert of him in his crate in the mm-hmm. mountains. Oh. Uh, one other thing I had during this part was uh, the electric mm. tie rack. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just in general, as a concept. That was such like a big notion in mm-hmm. uh, like the early 90s or so like when the electric tie rack was such like a preposterous, dumb fucking like cocaine yeah. idea. Yes. But it caught on. Yeah. Like that was a thing, right? It, it's very sharper image, very uh, like Wall Street wannabe type thing that you would see right. in the late 80s, and early 90s, I feel like. Yes. Very and, like Patrick Bateman. And I, I'm trying to remember like where, I feel yep. like I've Googled this many times and never gotten a straight answer of like when this movie was set. And they say like mid to late 80, 80s is when this movie was supposed to be like set, I guess, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
But I feel like all, a lot of the music is from the 70s. So I find that in, kind of interesting. Um, but that makes more sense with like yes. the technology, if you will, that they have at the time and kind of that time period. Um, and like what was, I guess, yeah. trendy at the time. I have a note later that with mm -hmm. with the TV that Margot has and then Gene Hackman's medical equipment in the bedroom later on, we see that it gives this movie a... Yeah. It feels timeless in a lot of ways. Kind of has that Requiem for a Dream feel where like, if you just throw out a bunch of like weird technology mm -hmm. that can't really be placed and the costumes and the cars and nothing sets a time, the movie just kind of has this universal yeah. feel to it. Of It could be taking place now yeah. or in the 70s. But later we do see some of the first generation of flat screen IMAX, actually, the clear plastic ones when Chaz uh, moves his entire business world into his yeah. old bedroom, uh, they have those yeah. IMAX, which struck me as totally weird uh, this well, time then watching it. I guess it. I'm wrong, and I don't know anything, <laughs> no, and you I, just blew I, me I, straight I out of the water. That, Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of a timeless, like, feel, a little kitschy, but, you know, mostly just timeless. And then, like, yeah, that totally blew my mind. Learning something new every time I watch the movie or not watching it and just talking about it. I didn't even notice that. Yes. I feel like it is purposefully timeless, mm -hmm. though, because all of these people are stuck in time. Like they're all refuse yeah. to go past the, the point where they encountered right. pain. They're all stuck at like their greatest success. Um, and yeah. that's why they're all like wearing their yeah, uniforms. That, uh, the, uh, the term, the I guess, you know, now it is a TV show, but the term arrested development definitely applies to all three of those kids, all well, the whole family. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting that they wear that uniform that was, yeah, like you said, at the peak of their success. And then they haven't moved past that, even though they haven't done anything that has, has like topped what they did when they were like 15 or whatever. I like um, that you guys keep using the word uniform because that's not a common yeah. phrase you would use in a movie about a family. Yeah. But in this case, you're absolutely right. Every character is dressed according to what they right. do or what and they have done. Like yeah. Oh, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. I was just going to say the, the fact that Richie <laughs> is <laughs> is yes. wearing his Fila gear through the entire film, even yes. underneath a sports jacket. I, I agree. I and I it. feel like I've and this is something I don't think this is like an uncommon thought about the Royal Tenenbaums. But it's like you come into the movie and these people are all just caricatures of people. But then by the end, it's like, oh, these are human beings. And you can relate mm -hmm. to each one of them in some way, shape or form. And I've watched many a video about specifically Margot's just like fashion choices. You know, I just find that it's very compelling. And I think it's been in fashion and high fashion and what in streetwear, just in general, just in the in the zeitgeist for 20 or so years now at this point. Mm -hmm. And just how each bit of like clothing for all three of the kids, the whole family was just like very curated, like like. The fur coat what it shows her like generational wealth, but then like the eye makeup is like rebellious, like all the and like and it goes for every single one of the kids of like just like how they kind of are mismatched in this like world of like generational wealth, but also and and, pro, and being a prodigy, but also feeling just like not like they fit in anywhere. And I think that's why a lot of those, all three of those like main costumes are so compelling because it is like it mm -hmm. is that juxtaposition of like high fashion and a lot of money, but also like kind of that punk rock feel that I think the seventies music and that timeless vibe brings to uh, to the sort uh, brings to the movie, including the sartorical choices. I think. What is your guys' take on Chaz's Ben Stiller's um, tracksuit that he wears? That's one that perplexed me a bit because the others are a little bit easier to spot 
and easily identify. But that one really perplexed me, he and his kids being in full-body Adidas tracksuits. Mm-hmm. I think it's his um, addiction slash fear of, like, of danger. Just, like, constantly being ready to move at any point in time. Um, I took that as, like, him going from, like, the business suits to being, like, a little more constricted to being just, like, I got to be ready at a moment's notice because my kids might die and I might die. And so I'm going to be wearing this uniform all the time. At any moment, you need to be able to sprint away. Yes, run from away from anything. Run away okay. from your dad, I, I like that. from your problems. I've had that sa- yeah. I've had that same thought when I, being from San Diego, uh, I wore flip-flops for a bit as a kid, and then I got heavily chastised because around 15 or so, I was like, you know what? I am done with flip-flops. These are garbage shoes, mm-hmm. and if, God forbid, I ever need to like yeah. run or yeah. climb something or just do anything... I'm fucked because I'm wearing these stupid ass flip flops. So I always want to have some kind of footwear that's yes. at least partially utilitarian. I also think that the the suits are red. Like it is, he can spot his mm-hmm. kids in a crowd. Like if there was a danger moment, right? You know, you're or easily identifiable. Yes. After a plane crash. Perfect. Yep. Ah, I like that. I like yeah, that costume a lot. Yeah, I agree with that now. too. That I think like sense. there's yeah, just that constantly being aware. And I think from more production side point standpoint, um, I feel like Wes Anderson was either friends because because Chaz wore Puma sneakers in the Adidas tracksuit. I don't remember who Wes is like friends with, like the designer of either one. But apparently, like he is friends with somebody because also the Adidas sh- Rom shoes show up in uh, Life Aquatic later on. Uh, anyway. So I think that could have also been like a, a, a like a, a, maybe I'm helping right. my friend out kind of deal. That actually works really well for the movie because Adidas and Puma were actually started by two brothers who oh. had some kind of fight and split. And so he's wearing a, a clothing of a family that's divided. That might be that's amazing. And that could have been more like in de- that might because given how his mind probably works, he's like, oh, yeah, this is a perfect that people will totally get what I'm trying to do with this. That's incredible. I didn't know that. <laughs> Damn, you learned something new. I do have the red tracksuit in my closet, too, for Halloween when for at some point. So I'm prepared. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I've been waiting. I just have to get the curly wig. What's the most... What's the most number of tenon bombs you showed up with in your crew to a party? Oh, oh, just me and myself or with my friends? No, have you gotten, like, have you, do you have enough costumes that if you get six friends together, yeah, all, you can all be tenon bombs? I can at least do all three kids, all three of the children, because I have, like, the tennis racket, That's the awesome. Fila's stuff, I have the, the aviator sunglasses for Richie, I have everything Margot. It's it's tough to do, like, Hugh Jack, I mean, not Hugh, okay, <laughs> We're talking to, this has been happening <laughs> So many times. Hugh Jackman and Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. This keeps fucking happening and I'm losing it. I get it though. I get it. I never realized that. Then Hugh Grant. They're spoonerisms for each other. All day taking notes, just thinking about it, just keep thinking of Hugh Jackman. God damn it. I mean, if you have something you want to talk about with your feelings for Hugh Jackman, please, (laughs) this is the place to do it. If if I if I liked musicals, I bet you I would have a huge man crush on Hugh Jackman. He is the musical guy and Wolverine. Unfortunately, I don't. So I still stick with my number one man crush being Kurt Russell. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, Hugh Jackman exists. I'm not a musical person either. I don't think I've seen a single Wolverine movie, surprisingly. So I don't know. He just yeah. he's just there. Hugh Jackman seems 
seems to be yeah. a good dude and he's been good in some movie like prisoners yeah. and stuff he was excellent in that so he's he's a solid actor i, I don't have anything against him yeah, was he in he, was he in the prestige the christopher nolan movie that's he was, it yeah. okay that's where yeah. i liked him because i know it was like yeah a bunch of people that i liked and he was also yes he was in that movie you're right anyway so i liked him in that and that's all i can really attest to Anyway, chapter two, <laughs> chapter two, what are we talking? Um, wait, what are we talking about? Well, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about when Chaz moves back into the family home, he states that his apartment isn't safe enough. And I wanted to point out a moment um, when Chaz moves his kids into his old room yeah. that he already had bunk beds in for some reason. Yeah. Um, but when. Chaz is going to go to another room to lay down and then turns around and decides to lay down on the floor mm -hmm. next to the bunk beds. And um, his younger son, Ari, comes down off the bunk beds to lay next to his dad and imitates his posture. And that hit me right in the heart. Yeah. There was something about that, just that little gesture that seemed so sweet and so human. And that's, like he, he wants his dad. That's the Roy Jaws yeah. moment. Yeah. Yes. That's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that is perfect. Yeah. The kid sees his dad as having yeah. a shit day. Mm -hmm. So the kid does, I don't know, I'll copy my dad and see if that yeah. helps him. Yeah, man, mm -hmm. that is bringing back a flood of emotions of like, yeah, I did the same thing as a kid. And those two boys were such good actors, too, in the, in this movie of just like, they really do love their dad and they don't, but they don't know what to do as far as being mm -hmm. little boys and like wanting to help him, I think. I, I don't know. I always felt... I have like and later on, like when they talk to Margot as a as like their aunt, I really thought that scene was very touching as well. I just really am a big fan of both of those young boys actors in that in that movie. I think those two boys were given just little enough that they could be quirky and funny, but they're never given so many lines where it's like, oh, God, these kids yeah. acting or something like they just have these funny little mm -hmm. moments that feel so organic that they last a lot longer with you than like if these, if they tried to like lean on these right. kids to push the story forward right. or something, you know, but I think Wes Anderson is good with younger actors. Um, I think so too. I mean, if you look at Rushmore, it's, there's a lot of t actual kids who went to the mm -hmm. school who are like background players and everything in that movie. Um, Alexis Bledel was, yeah. is in the movie. Because she went to that high school. Yeah. Which is the weirdest thing. I know. And that was like right before. Uh, yeah. Right before Gilmore Girls came out, too. I feel like that was around all of that. was yep. TV and movies were popping off in like 2000, 2001. I don't know. It's a good time. Yes. And then. A, a, should I see? Should I, I see so. Rushmore? I like oh, Jason yeah. I Schwartzman. Think would, if you like him, oh, I think yeah. you would really like that movie. And Bill Murray. I mean, that was his big return to like form and like to doing like indie movies is i think he had like his run as a comedian kind of his career was kind of in a lower place and then wes anderson kind of pulled him out and like hey just do this movie with me and that was their beginning of their like relationship was rushmore where did this fall with lost in translation was this before or was, after that i think rushmore and uh tendon bombs were between lost in translation i think oh translations okay. after Translation oh, was okay. 2003. So he was already in the so, indie movie game at that point. Yeah, but this, like, so, yeah, it's kind of like he got his start 
here mm-hmm. with Wes Anderson, and then and then got his chops up to do another yeah. lead acting role. I that's another movie I would really like to rewatch because I'm not I'm not crazy about Bill Murray because I kind of I liked him a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. but now watching his characters as an adult, it's just like this guy's just an asshole. Yeah. Like every character, I'm just like this guy's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's there's not that much to love with a lot of his characters. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'm curious to watch something like Lost in Translation, which has a little bit more depth to it. Yeah, I'd like to rewatch that That's, too. I think definitely in this movie, um, I feel like his role uh, as Raleigh St. Clair in this film is it, it entirely leans on you knowing that Bill Murray can be an mm-hmm. asshole, but he is playing so against type in this role that he just looks wounded yeah. in every scene. Even before anything has happened with his character, he looks the first time he, he enters into yes. the bathroom where uh, Margot hides out for six hours yeah. a day <laughs> watching television and smoking. Again, in movies, three puffs of perfume and you click on a little tiny seal, uh, mm-hmm. indoor fan and nobody right. knows you're a cigarette like, smoker. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really love, there's a little moment later uh, in the movie where um, Bill Murray asks her for a cigarette mm-hmm. after he finds out she smokes. And mm-hmm. she hands him one. And he looks at it and he turns it over because he's never seen a filterless yeah. cigarette before. So he doesn't know which end to put in his mouth. Yeah. So you yes. see him kind of fumbling with it, trying to trying to wrap his brain around what he's looking at because there's no orange right. end with the filter. <laughs> yep. Man, yeah. And to your point, Josh, he is very, uh, won't, like, just, he just knows that he's being fucked over. And he also, I don't think he fully mm-hmm. thinks it's, I don't think he thinks Margot is malicious. I just think that she's, I think he thinks, this is me projecting, but I think he thinks that she's stuck and that he loves her, but he knows that she doesn't fully love him as much yes. as he loves her and as much as she could love him because she loves Richie, but she doesn't know that or doesn't know how to express that. It's all very sad. It's incredibly depressing. It is. And this, well, in the next little sequence, uh, we see Margot moving mm-hmm. back into the house and Eli is hiding in his underwear yeah. in her closet yeah. waiting for her. Uh, and she's totally unsurprised mm-hmm. to see him, uh, which I remember surprised me when I first saw it. Cause I was like, wait, they've right, got a thing right. too <laughs> on the side, which I think the eventual like explanation of it um, that she gives to Richie, it didn't hit me emotionally until yeah. having watched the movie multiple times of um, she talks about part of her attraction to Eli yeah, is the fact yeah. that he's close to Richie. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, she was like, I, I, yeah, I she did, was like, I we just talk about you. Line. Like, I think she was talking yeah. to Richie when he was like, Eli. And she's like, well, we just talk about you anyway, or something like that. And I think that's, yeah. I, I remember yeah. that moment now. Eli has a great moment later, which caught me off guard emotionally, where he has this kind of speech. And at one point he just says, um, something like you don't know how much yes. I wanted to be a Tenenbaum or something. And, and that mm-hmm. line read had, you mm-hmm. feel like the heartbreak in Owen Wilson's line read of that. Uh, Eli is a great character. Cause once again, like you said, Courtney, these are all caricatures right. until they're not. Yeah. Essentially. And I think like that, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. So we're moving on. I just completely lost what I was going to say. 
Sorry. Oh, you're good. It I happens was just like, all I have the a time. point. Don't worry. It's a it's a marvel. I have not yeah. lost mine yet. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> the the next big moment, um, all the children are, are heading to back to live in the house. And for me, the next like standout moment is when Richie arrives mm-hmm. at the dock. Oh yeah. Um, uh, off of his ship. And yeah, there's like two great beats yeah. in a row with Richie. And one of them is um, uh, a fan from his tennis days comes up right. and says, Hey bomber, can we get a picture with you? And he's immediately mm-hmm. like, in that mode and you his like posture and voice changes and he's like yeah okay yeah right and he's he can be that character he can put on that facade mm-hmm. for a few seconds to be like kind of the the Wheaties box guy that he once was um and then he sits down and waits for uh and the the narrator plays a little coy cuz i think he calls her his the escort that he always right. had in his traveling days um yeah and then um, you see Margot mm-hmm. get off the bus oh, to come meet him. Yeah. And what do you think about this moment? This like the slow motion, the music choice, the camera push in as the two of them get closer together. What do you feel about this? I think it's I think it's perfect. I think it just it really captures just the, that like that wistful longingness <laughs> of like these two people love each other. They may or may not know it, but they probably know that they love each other. And just that moment of like with. The song and then just like the color scheme of just like oh god and they haven't seen each other in so long and and this is why he threw away his career because he saw her with Raleigh St. Clair and god it I love I mean I I get a little misty-eyed every time I watch that scene I just think it's you can only hope I know okay it is fucked mm-hmm. up that they're adopted brother and sister uh, but I you can only hope you can meet someone that thinks about you that uh, looks at you that way <laughs> <laughs> regardless of how you meet them not regardless of how you meet them that right. does not mean i'm not cons- i i live in the south but that's not what i mean i don't mean that but you know what i mean like you just hope you- <laughs> yeah it's, it's a magic <laughs> they're not yeah. the best example maybe but but that moment it's- is beautiful it is <laughs> this is a magical scene though this scene everything about it i i was curious if they put her on some kind of dolly and had right. her just emulate walking yeah. because she seems to float when she gets off of that bus. Mm-hmm. And even just the way her hair just gently flutters with the wind. I feel like this must have been one of those shots that took like oh, yeah. 35 times to get it just right, right how Wes Anderson wanted it. Because mm-hmm. it's a stunning shot and it's important <sighs> in the music moment. I don't recall what song plays. Mm-hmm. I love the music throughout this whole movie. I thought... Perfect. This soundtrack was excellent. Um, but the song that plays through this one, it's a huge, mm-hmm. huge moment in this movie. Yes. Isn't it? Um, is it These Days? It is. Is that the, the song that plays at this point? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just one of those, like, uh, has always been kind of a, mm-hmm. a little wistful and heartrending of a song. And to see it put to this, um, it's one of those, like, it's... You know, I think Wes Anderson is probably second to like Scorsese as far as yeah. the precision of his needle drops. Yeah. In in out in movies. It's he is so good with the choice and the use, the length, the part that he brings into the to the movie. Um it's just because no. it doesn't start as soon as you see her. Like 
the little opening notes, it waits till she gets off the bus mm-hmm. and looks up a little bit. And it's kind of like it tinkles in at the beginning of the of the song yeah. with that. And it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Needle drops can be such a hit or miss thing, too, because there's a lot of big ones in this movie. And that's I think that speaks a lot to the skill of the director, but mm-hmm. also the writer. Or, I mean, excuse me, the editor being able to find that exact moment where it fits because when it doesn't fit for instance watching that four-hour snyder <laughs> yeah. cut thing mm-hmm. that uh yeah. dawn, dawn of justice or i can't remember i don't what it was called honestly <laughs> there's so many needle drops in that movie yeah. or fear street part one the 90s one where it's just like oh god the editor is just throwing in 12 seconds of songs willy-nilly wherever they possibly can fit them even if they don't Mm -hmm. fit at all and it completely detracts from the movie whereas these when done right when you get it 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 feels Mm -hmm. it's like that movie magic feeling of i will see it again Mm -hmm. later kind of with amelie but it's that feeling of like love at first sight how do you define that on film well, you better yeah. pick the right song and the right lighting. And this bus moment really feels like that. Yeah. And I feel like that scene in particular feels like such a turning point for those characters of finally starting to confront their repressed feelings for each other, you know, where it's like that's part of getting out of that arrested development stage, I think, too, for both of them of like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while and I'm going to accept that I love you. Even if I don't consciously accept it, my subconsciously I'm starting to accept it. And we're and this viewer, you're starting to accept that for them. Right. And I feel like that's starting to be this the turning point for these for these characters to start like their lives starting to change finally, I think. So everyone's back in the house. Royal tells the kids that he is dying and he'd like to get to know them better before he passes away. Um, Chaz does not go for this at all. He is disbelieving from the get go. Richie, on the other hand, gives his dad a hug. Like you see the mm-hmm. the the interplay of each character. I think it would have been really easy to put them all against him or to make them all before him or right. but to give them kind of each different stages that they come into their their adult relationships with him, reuniting with him, I think is really fascinating and really well done. Um Eli t- tells Margot about the letter that Richie sent, the telegram, where he said that he was in love with her. Uh, Margot doesn't seem that surprised. She's like a little, but like you're saying, it's been percolating Duh. in there. So it doesn't come as a huge uh, shock, I don't think. Um, yeah. And the, a day or two later, Royal finds Chaz's sons at the YMCA, the 370, the I believe fictional 375th Street Y that... Wes Anderson has yeah. created um, and he tells the, the boys that he wants to hang out with them, um, but they need to convince their dad to let, let them. And my other favorite line, like comedic line from the movie is when Gene Hackman tells the boys, I'm very sorry for your loss. Your mother was a terribly attractive woman. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just such a Art. dick, you know, and that yes. just plays so into the hash. Yep. Is that what New York City playgrounds are like, by the way? Are they fenced in on top of rooftops? New York City playgrounds, some of them? I have no idea. Because that perplexed me. I think in in Wes Anderson land, they are. 
Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm from San Diego, so I, don't, I have no idea what's going on in New York City. New York City! Yeah. <laughs> you have to remember that Wes and Owen uh, and Luke are from, like, Texas, the country outside right? of Houston, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so their view of New York City, like, as this kind of magical uh, <laughs> world is totally skewed by movies and uh, those yeah. Salinger books and... Um, there even there's even throwbacks to like 1940s movies in here, like references visually mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the the architecture that they use is very uh, old school, as you would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, timeless in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Although that house, um, that apartment, is still available. You can still like I think either buy it or rent it where the tendon bombs, uh, like where they shot that, like the exterior. I think that place is still available apparently oh, i don't that's... check Zillow every day or anything <laughs> <laughs> don't worry the last time you did no, i don't do that yeah the last time i checked it i don't know a few hours ago it was still there so <laughs> let me know when the michael myers house opens up oh yes <laughs> <laughs> that actually isn't would that be the pretty one that's bad. like an insurance yeah. company now oh it might be is one it? of those yeah it might have been, yeah, been bought in Pasadena by a company or Damn. something. Yeah. I mean, that would be also be like a cool house to stay in or just like do an Airbnb in. I don't know. Like, I have yes. my green jumpsuit. I'll get a, I'll get a mask. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. I'm ready for it. Once again, totally tangenting here, but your Airbnb situation this last week looked pretty sweet. I loved it. Your... your yeah, the tiny house. That was great. The tiny house. Yeah, I was genuinely very nervous because it was like outside of the city of Asheville, North Carolina. So I was there for a couple of stand up shows and I was like, man, I don't know. I could get murdered. It is what it is. I'll accept it. I'm, I paid a hundred bucks for these two nights. You know, like I was kind of accepting <laughs> that this might happen to me. And like, I, I don't like that that's my first like mental default of just like playing dead of just like, okay, just kill me. It's fine. Um, but it is, I guess I've made peace with it, but that, it ended up being a good experience. <laughs> I mean, I'm here now, so it's fine, but yeah, it was super cute. <laughs> you made it. It was very, very, very tiny. Like I, I am uh, like five foot four, uh, not, not a particularly big person and me just turning around in the, in the space general common area was like kind of a challenge did you feel oh god never mind no (laughs) there's a reference to a movie i can't okay no i was thinking of the movies i was thinking of the movie ski patrol oh i've not seen that there's a part (laughs) where there's like a uh, it's it's so it's not worth the three minute tangent this would take to get to a punchline (laughs) that's not even funny (laughs) let's move on Uh, the next chapter card is Maddox Hill Cemetery, where Royal mm. takes the family, um, and we find out, like, important backstory about both Margot and Richie here. Yeah. Um, Margot tells Ari and Uzi, Chaz's sons, uh, mm. about the way that she lost her finger. Yeah. When she was 14 and had gone to look for her birth family in Indiana. and. Mm-hmm. As a Hoosier by birth, I've lived in Tennessee my like half my life now, over half my life. Yeah. But as a Hoosier by birth, I have to say that felt a lot like Indiana. Yeah, and I, think that, I agree. Uh, 
losing your finger while holding the wood while your dad chops it is totally a thing mm. that happens in Indiana. I agree. <laughs> I went to school in, in Indiana yeah. for a year, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it's it. Very happens in this movie. There's a lot of Hoosier talk on this podcast. There is. Ow. I um, huh? I will say I think. Um, I, I should have probably maybe should have shared this uh, shared this at the beginning. You can super cut this in wherever you want. But I was um, one of the big reasons why I think I connected with Margot the most is I'm also adopted. And uh, just her thought process, like I know it's like, oh, she's mysterious, blah, 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 whatever. But just seeing how she responds to things and just that kind of detachment, but also wanting to be included is very uh, it resonates very deeply with me. And that was the first time mm-hmm. as a young Courtney being able to see someone uh, like that in a movie. Like I've seen, you know, like granted me and Gwyneth Paltrow could not be more different physically. But like uh, just seeing a character portrayed that way and that not as a punchline. And I, I, I mean, kind of but like not really like as being a very full, a fleshed out character was really impactful for me. Mm-hmm. And to this day still is very uh, is a kind of a touchstone for me to be like, oh, yeah, like this is this is something that that detachment or that kind of secrecy or whatever is, is, uh, uh, is very relatable. And that kind of just, yeah, but like wanting, like in the, there's a scene later on where she's like, don't get rid of the mice. Those are Chaz's. At least he made them anyway. She's very attached to that family, but you don't always get that impression because she doesn't yes. really know where to fit in. Anyway, this could be this is a psychology breakdown of just like, but this is one of the, probably one of the big reasons why I love that character in this movie is the portrayal of someone being adopted. Anyway, I I love it, and I think normally with a character like this, you would see a character in rebellion like this would be a teenager. Mm-hmm. But the fact yes. that this is a grown woman who's mm-hmm. still in this state of rebellion, I think validates her experience and the fact yeah. that as an audience, we feel if she's still like this and still in this state, then it must be real. Her experience, yeah. it's not just that teenage angst. Yeah. I agree. And then just like, I mean, I guess the one main joke for her was like Gene Hackman being like, oh, she's adopted. And like that, that comes up a lot, too. Or it's like people just very are quick to to note that either as like an act of like, oh, that's a really like cool thing your adopted parents did or you're just different. And that that is a very relatable like thing that kind of gets pounded into you and seeing her response to that, too, is very, uh, I think, in an interesting way, validating in the Wes Anderson lens, very validating to see that. Um, because at the mm-hmm. time I was just like, man, am I just, yeah, I, I remember thinking just like I had a lot of issues. I mean, I do have issues, but like, you know, pertaining to that, it was <laughs> nice to see someone else in like a, a higher profile movie like this being portrayed in that way that felt respectful to me and also like something that I could relate to. How old were you when you saw this? I was, uh, I was 16 and I was very angry. I'm still pretty uh-huh. angry, but like I've managed it better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in therapy now, which is good. Yeah, but no, I could absolutely see this movie with this yeah. character speaking yeah. to you. And that's that's awesome. I think that's actually kind of uh, a great role model. Not role yeah. model, but a great expression valve to have as a kid. Yeah, you know? and that kind of became what it was. Like, I know people love to shit on Gwyneth Paltrow now for all her, like, stuff that she does. I think she's kind of cool. I don't have an issue with her, but I'll always be thankful for her for playing this role and not making it, like, a, a mockery or, like, not doing a good, doing a ma- an amazing job at this role. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, if I ever met her, which she maybe doesn't even remember doing this movie, who knows? 
at this point, but I would tell her, thank you. <laughs> and that you meant a lot to me when I was in high school and college and in my 20s. Gwyneth Paltrow, I mean, I remember seeing Shakespeare in Love around yeah. the time it came out. And surprisingly, even at my age as a kid, I don't know, 12 or 13, I was able to appreciate that uh, this Seems to be a pretty good yeah. movie, although it also seems to be a forgotten movie. I agree. Nobody ever talks about Shakespeare in love anymore. Yeah. yeah. I think the reason why, and it's not to get too controversial, but I think it's because that was one of the first movies that, like, so Miramax, you know, or, or not Miramax, maybe Miramax, but like the Weinstein Company, Harvey Weinstein, his whole deal. Um, sorry again to put this name out there and, like, maybe flag your podcast. I don't mean to do that to you guys <laughs> no, you're gonna get canceled but i remember like reading up on this and watching like several video essays that his whole deal with the weinstein company was in order to market their movies was to win as many oscars as possible and gwyneth paltrow weirdly yes. frida was also a weinstein company movie that uh um Selma hayek was i believe Selma hayek was nominated for an oscar best actress the same year as gwyneth was but they push Shakespeare in love more, but that was their marketing strategy of like that. He, unfortunately, Harvey Weinstein shaped how the awards uh, season goes of like paying a lot of money to like sponsors and to the Academy to get like these promotional like packets out there and stuff so that those movies would get more acclaim to get more press. And that was one of the first movies I think to do that. Shakespeare in love was one of the first movies to really like make that happen with her winning the best, the best actress award. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that's why it's not as well remembered, but I think it's a I think it's a really good movie otherwise. I know I think every point you just made is very valid, and I think it's amongst snobby film buffs. I think that's probably why they look their noses down on it because I don't I don't know some you got the, especially Oscars you got to take everything with the biggest grain of salt in the world now like mm -hmm. the, to. For anyone to believe that those are like the best movies of the year is preposterous right. when they don't show anything outside of just mainstream yeah. genre. Like, the, no comedy, no mm -hmm. horror, like no sci-fi, hardly right. ever. Um, it's, it's all just got to be like right down the line, mm -hmm. you know? And so how it's, it frustrates me sometimes when, um, when people get so upset over like, Oh, like this movie got snubbed or whatever. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Right, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, the Oscars don't matter. No, the Grammys don't mm -hmm. matter. None of these things matter. It's all, it's all nonsense. Yeah, you know? I mean the fact that Emily in Paris got nominated for a Golden Globe and this I May Destroy You did not. Like I, I, I that was a huge controversy, you know, last year. But I'm like, why? And then Emily in Paris got nominated for an Emmy. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people? You know, I, I watched it. It was terrible. <laughs> Courtney, I'm not. I'm not gonna listen to you until you say the title what? correctly. Oh, this. Emily in Paris. Paris. Oh, the, oh God. So <laughs> sorry. You. I know Lily Collins is known American actress <laughs> who plays Brit, who plays French. Sorry, not to disrespect her. Great. Now Lily Collins is never gonna God, come on the show. I'm so, and then she won't even get her dad Phil <laughs> Collins on the show. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Is her dad Phil me. Collins. Her dad is Phil Collins, and that's. I think nepotism, maybe some of it. No, what? no, I, I, I think she got to where she was <laughs> yeah. on her own accord. Now I have to go back to uh, Jennifer's body, which I just rewatched a couple nights ago. 
and quote mm-hmm. um, Needy's boyfriend and saying, "Yeah, you don't know who Phil Collins is? Yes. I mean, he's seminal, but whatever. Oh, my God. I love that movie. <laughs> I Megan Fox got done dirty by Hollywood, too, I think. That's just my opinion. She totally did. I think if she were like a prominent figure now, like she was in like the Transformer days, she would be like the biggest star ever because she could speak her truth, do her thing. And people would be like, hell yeah, you do your thing. But now she's dating Machine Gun Kelly. I feel bad for her. That's a sad life to live. (laughs) I'm real curious to see how facial tattoos age as we go forward with this group oh, yeah. of rappers. Yes. We got him, Post Malone, Pete Davidson, I think. We got all those guys we can just track. Yeah, but it's not them <laughs> I'm worried about. It's the random stranger that I see on the San Francisco bus who's trying that to emulate true. them. Oh, God. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> or on dating profiles. Yes. That's a definite swipe left when you have eyebrow tattoos and shivery. I'm sorry. I, yeah, yeah. I'll go up to the neck. If you have a little bit of neck tattoo, even just a little bit of neck tattoo is fine. But once once you breach that chin line, man, that jaw line, once that's broached. Neck neck uh, is generous. Like you, you know, you are you you're pretty generous with that. I'm like, I don't know, like like maybe like clavicle down. That's fine. What about like finger like back of hand finger tattoos? I'm I'm not as bothered by that. Maybe because like I've had like friends who have like some kind of cool finger tattoos and they're just like, yeah, I got this when I was 18. I was stupid. And it's like, if you can live your life like that, then that's fine. Like I've seen some real dumb tattoos, but if you can make a good, make if you can make light of it and be like, I, I can live my life with this tattoo, then that's fine. But like fucking Post Malone with like the under the eye tattoo and shit, like, or even like the mm-hmm. Travis Barker with everything. I, I don't know. Like that's just a lot. Uh, that's it's just like a lot to take in so yeah and when i say like a neck tattoo i'm more picturing this is the second time this is good clooney and from dust till dawn he's got just like a little bit of some stuff coming out of the shirt collar that's if your neck is just completely colored from the throat from right uvula (laughs) down uh i don't this is coming from someone who has no tattoos i would like one but it's also just like, it's a lot of money. It takes a lot of time out of my day. I don't really know how committed I am to getting one. Cause it's like, I could be, na- again, I could be. They na- hurt too. They hurt. I could be napping. And instead I'd have to sit in a chair and have someone drill ink into my arm. And it's like, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. And then you have to make small talk mm-hmm. with a tattoo artist for two to three hours. That's also, oh my God, that would also kill me. I'm just like, so, um, where did you go to school? I don't, uh, I don't know. Do you like, do no, you like just, that? just talk about the green night. It seems to be working <laughs> that's for you. Clearly, that's clearly my, my, my end point. Oh yeah. That's your wheelhouse. Just use the green night wherever the you go. Night. Anytime you see a hot dude, just yeah. throw the green night out there. I, I, you know what, at this point, I feel like, I feel like that's just enough of a, like a, not totally bro movie, but a movie that like a lot of guys are like, yeah, if you haven't seen that, then you don't fucking know cinema. Then I'm like, yeah, I can throw that out there. And they're just, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like what Garden State was like 30 years ago or whatever. Right. Like it's kind of that vibe. I, I love that now the, the, the bros have now become A24 bros where they're they all douchebags about like the modern horror movement. They totally, they, the, the, I, I mean, we got like those soft boy bros, like that, I mean, Josh sends me memes <laughs> that I, all, I often relate to about being kind of a soft boy. <laughs> um, but that is the new version of bro. Like you think, like, 
I mean, we've all we've seen 22 Jump Street, right? Like we see how Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill don't fit into high school anymore because the new bro is an eco-conscious, yes. like musical or like whatever. Like that's you know, like I don't. I feel like Sean, you're probably not. I don't think you're that much older than me, so you understand where I'm coming from on this. What's right? a soft boy? Okay, a soft yeah, boy. Yeah, what's a soft boy? <laughs> A soft boy. Because I feel like I feel like I'm, Sean I'm pretty sure I feel like I'm a soft internet boy. as we are. I don't think I you, don't know uh, what it means, but I feel like I'm gonna fit this definition. I feel like I've known you. Sean really? is a professional baker. Oh, I have to you bring that up. Yeah. I feel like we've known each other for almost two hours. I don't get yes. that vibe, but you might be now. Uh, I think it's a vibe you can instantly pick up on people. I used to not be good at this. I dated a lot of soft boys, but you know. Life finds a way of showing you that I'm, you're stupid sometimes. I've told Josh this what? before, but I, I've told I was like depression came on around like my late teens, and mm -hmm. then I was just kind of an asshole and just kind of emotionally shut down. And then yeah. around twenty five or twenty six, I did my first mushroom trip backpacking, and it like Hell opened yes. the floodgates of all the emotions yeah. that I had repressed before. And now yeah. I cry at TV shows and movies. Uh -huh. Josh cries at commercials. I'm sure a commercial. I get it. I'm sure a commercial could get me. Like right now, if Josh sent me a commercial that's like a tearjerker, I bet yeah. you he could get me to cry. You oh, got me I to cry with Tenenbaums today, by the way. Oh, good. I cry watching the movie every time, <laughs> and not at the point yes. that probably probably people think you should cry at. But anyway, a soft boy is someone who is presents themselves as like very emotional and what have you but also but deep down is like a fuck boy it's just like someone who's just like sliding into those dms using some like morrissey lyrics or whatever the fuck said that they you know whatever but then they at the end of the day they're just like i just want to <laughs> see some tits and ass i don't give a fuck about you that's a fuck boy or a oh, soft boy yeah. no what i i what i present up front as far as being a very overly sensitive man who <laughs> gets my feelings hurt and that I don't like confrontation, that's me straight down See, to the core. that's great. And like, <laughs> how do you not have women knocking down your door right now? I'm just, I'm saying that genuinely. This, this, is, this is the question. I have a photo of me on my dating profile holding like eight loaves of bread. That's amazing. And yet I have no dates. What's going I, on? What's going on? I personally find that to be wild. So I'm saying that right here, right now, coming from I'm from the Midwest. I live in the South. You live in you live in the and you live on the West Side. <laughs> I think that is wild that these women are not are not just like knocking down your door. That's crazy to me. Like I in living in the South, it's just like you don't find people who like really give a fuck about anything other than like you, Josh. You can attest to this. I feel like I'm just talking and making myself sound more. <laughs> more stupid but mm -hmm. do you agree josh you i mean josh knows my dating history to some degree unfortunately some of the bad parts yes you would agree with the sentiment maybe yes and i do think um from what i have heard uh i experienced very little of it a couple years ago when i was single but from what i've heard especially recently from friends around town um the the dating pool here is rife with fuckboys uh -huh. and um, uh, guys who live on inheritances and people who want to be industry folks yep. uh, and a lot of twinks. Uh, and nobody's looking yep. for like real people <laughs> and real uh, actual like connection. No. Everyone 
kind of wants to play and uh, move climb up the social ladder here. Social ladder. That is, yeah. Like I, I've had friends. I've had people I've dated. Why are we talking about this? I'm sorry. I feel like I'm just going to go into analysis of like the past like five guys I've dated. And I'm like, this is why blah, blah, blah. And they just use blow in like, no, that's, that's for a se- seven you know, yeah, that, I started this podcast not to talk movies, but just because all the therapists, like I, I don't want to do in-person therapy again yet with COVID. So I was like, oh, Josh is good Josh enough. Is good. I'll just disguise this as a movie podcast and then i'll just vent all of my insecurities <laughs> yeah. onto him and let him deal with them I, that's what friends are for so you're fitting in and Sean, i feel like i feel like your dating profile is probably just is probably great eight loaves of bread you like movies you know what i'll send you after this i'll send you my dating profile and you can rewrite it i would love that i've done that for a few friends and i would love nothing more i feel like i think one of my problems is i'm just not funny on paper really like the, the, my sense of humor it's a lot of times my jokes are just bad but i think with my delivery yeah. i try to spruce them up a bit to make them funny okay but on paper I just feel like I have no personality sometimes. That okay. Uh, I do have to mention also that Sean will has frequently recently been seen wearing uh, overalls. Oh, that's one wonderful. time. One time in public. <laughs> that's a problem. That's wonderful. One time. <laughs> Is that a faux pas? I think. I don't think so. I think they're fantastic. I think they're great. I'm a big fan of them. I wear them all the time. Yes. I love them. Is this just going to be the Sean dating show? Because, I mean, we can also make that be a thing. Um, <laughs> this, that would be a fun spinoff podcast I, because that would inspire me to actually try dating again. I get it. I'm in the, I'm a similar boat. I will say my track record with matching people up, I've set up three different groups of friends or three different couples Two of them recently got married and one of them has in a committed, they're committed to each other, been living together for the past couple of years. And I'm just like, hey, I think you two would be good together. Do you know? So I'm just saying. You know what my friends say when I ask them, oh, do you have any friends or anything? They say, um, my friends are too crazy. (laughs) You don't want to date any of my friends. or yeah. they're all married and having babies. Yeah, I, my, These are the responses that I get from my I friends. I do too. And my friends are like, I'm like, hey, why don't you ever try and set me up? And they're just like, the one couple, they're two women. And they're like, we don't know straight men. And I'm like, you know what? That's fair. If you don't have to know them, that's fine. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other ones are just like, all of our friends are in relationships or they're shitty. And I'm like, so I have tried to ask some of my friends. I'm like, hey. Your friends seem cool, and they're just like, oh, he's terrible. But he's like, he's known my husband for like 20 years, so like they're best <laughs> friends. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I understand your pain. I get it. <laughs> um, God, I've given so many people the pass after a five-minute conversation yeah. with them, only to find out after spending two to three hours with them that like, oh, this person sucks. I need to stop giving people like that. After that five minutes, I cannot give somebody like my validation. I, like, I have to give people more time before I decide if they're yeah, good or not. I, my, but I'm just so quick to like trust people. I was like, hey, stop doing I, that, I dude. Do that. <laughs> Fucking stop trusting strangers. I do it too, and it's don't let to, people in. It's but come to bite me in the ass like a lot. And I think like for first dates for me, it's normally like 
I love, you know, I, I do comedy. I love like stand up and all that stuff. I'll give them a full hour, nothing less, probably nothing more because start, I may not be super into the special, like 15, 20, 30 minutes in, but then they might get me at the end. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, you're pretty cool. I love that. So that's how I like go on no, first I dates. love that because sometimes on a date, God, I feel like. I feel like dates sometimes are set within the first three minutes uh-huh. of the date. And yeah. then it's like, all right, I feel like we both know this first date's not going anywhere, but we're both still going to like be pleasant and go through the, the, the conversation yeah. and everything. But I had one date. Oh, <laughs> she was into like partner. Oh, God. The fact that I'm rubbing my hand through my hair means that I'm insecure about this. <laughs> um, but she is into like partner meditation so okay. i express like oh that's cool like what's that about it's like oh yeah we could get only give it a shot or something so i met her in a park and this was our first meeting from an online dating app and where i was like oh hey how's it going nice to meet you cool and then we sat down on a bench like two feet from each other cross-legged and we just made eye to eye contact for two Ooh. minutes straight in dead silence. Oh and so, so I'm staring into this woman's eyes. And because me being me, I can't, I can't help but giggle because I'm a child. So, but I wasn't, I was like, I'm sorry, I wasn't being disrespectful. Yeah. You know, so we, we finished the two minutes, and I was like, <laughs> that was cool like uh we had talked about maybe going to get a drink yeah. after at this nearby bar and so it's like right around the course like hey so um you want to go get a drink now and she's like no i i i think this has gone far <laughs> so this woman decided just looking into my eyes for two minutes that she didn't want to date me. I didn't even get a chance to say anything. Oh my god, oh John! Uh, I'm so sorry. That's fucking uh, hilarious. Uh, <laughs> oh wow. Um, oh, the best tangent. I feel. What, oh, that feels like a does, sketch. It does. It's just like you just look at each other. It's like, nope, I'm good. This. You can like okay, so you can like write you can write yeah. the sketches like you're staring into each other's eyes and you zoom into like one of their eyes and it's just like you see their whole life play out. I don't know. And meanwhile the other person just looking <laughs> into their eyes thinking this is pleasant. That could be a funny sketch. Josh, we should film <laughs> that. Oh, it was all That's, too real. Oh my god. I'm sorry to say. What are we talking about? California. So on. like that tracks but oh, yes. Oh it hurts. I Oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I went back to the bar. I, I saw uh, I did, my buddy knew I had a date at like four thirty. He's a bartender, and I showed up to the bar at like four forty-five. And I was just like, "Teddy, give me a shot." He's like, "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah." He didn't even ask questions. He's, he knew. Oh, so that's I, I, my dating man. Brutal. I can't imagine suggesting. Um, any kind of meditation for a first date like you just uh deep reflection on the first date seems like a bad thing it was like, very uh, california yeah feels very crunchy <laughs> granola 
Yep. I think, uh, I don't know what people do around here. Go to the honky tonk and, um, drink a, a natty light. Maybe do some line dancing. Yes. I think line dancing looks really fun. Have we talked about line dancing on this show? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about line dancing a lot in my life, so we might. <laughs> um, well, I've never done it, but it looks delightful. Wait, did you not do? Um, oh, I guess that was square dancing that we did in school. I think that's uh, what I'm talking about. What is there a difference between line dancing and square dancing? Totally. Totally different. Really? Yes. Oh my god. Courtney, did yes. you know there's a difference between line dancing and square dancing? I I, I did. Because I think one's in a line and one's in a square. <laughs> and that's all that I you know. know. The answer was the answer was right there in the question. Had only um, I looked I did. at it when oh I was my younger. I, my mom used to send me his, along with being adopted. We were also very religious, and I was homeschooled for the whole all twelve years. And so she used to send me to Pioneer School in the summertime uh, after VBS, and it was like we had to go and learn how to like live like as Pioneer people, like churn butter, dress in mm-hmm. a certain, and then at the the final like night of camp all the parents would come and we would put on like a square dancing performance of us like in these outfits and then we would present our parents with the churned butter and the jam and the bread that we made <laughs> and so i know present I... our parents with the churned butter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like look what we did look what we learned how to do in the past week um i mean we chopped firewood we did all sorts of stuff how is your butter making these days it's okay i haven't done it i used to do it with a marble where you put it in a baby food jar with some like the cream and you just shake it and that makes butter mm-hmm. apparently that's i had to make uh soap we would go to this place called counter prairie yeah. which was uh very much like uh olden times like little little house on the prairie Aww. type thing um and i i remember we made soap and like uh, dressed up in horribly at this point in time. I mean, this is the, the early 80s, yeah. so we didn't know better. <laughs> and, I, and also, I was like six. <laughs> but we would wear, like, Indian headdresses. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I get it. And Yeah, yes. I understand. So, yeah. There. Yep. It, totally. It was the that era and that yeah. place. I mean, much of the Midwest has still not caught up, so no. they're well, probably still doing it at Conner Prairie. You'd be happy to know in San Diego in the early 90s, we were still wearing construction paper made headdresses yeah. with okay. construction paper <laughs> yeah. feathers. So feathers, yes. we didn't know either in yeah. the 90s. I used to dress up as Pocahontas all the time, so understandable, you know? I mean, she's still pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, but... But you learned your lesson, and now you just dress as Margot, a depressed woman who hides her cigarette smoking from everyone, and has nine and a half fingers. Yes, that's, um, I, yeah, I mean, yes, that's it. I, even in the day-to-day, I still, I'm like, how can I make, how can I incorporate (laughs) this into my streetwear without making it too obvious? Um... We we were talking about the Royal Tenenbaums and we went on a huge tangent. <laughs> oh my god! We were, yeah, we we were. were like what we're like we're like fifteen minutes into the movie. So... <laughs> right, no, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. find our pace now. We're yeah. gonna plow yes. through it now. I'm just gonna hit some high points, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we gotta get to the second one. <laughs> so this is like I have no plans for tonight. 
So this is fine. This is perfectly fine with me. Awesome. Oh, good, good. Yeah, because to to record this podcast, you got to set aside oh, a healthy yeah. four-hour window. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing in the movie that sticks out to me is uh, Margot tells Richie that she knows about the letter. Mm-hmm. Richie immediately confronts Eli about it. He goes to his house and we get to see the inside of Eli's adult house and we see the most amazing paintings ever. I fucking love these paintings so much. Oh, they're awesome. And the the song that's playing in the scene is a gymnopedi or however you say it. That's the song from uh, my dinner with Andre. Yes. Do, 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 do. Yeah. I love that song. But th- those paintings are mm-hmm. wild. Bunch of like mm-hmm. masked dirt bike riders. What the hell is going <laughs> yeah. on? So I did some research and I tried to find out who painted them. I wanted to see if there was like reproductions yeah. available or anything. Um, I couldn't find the actual painter because they were based on photographs taken by Miguel oh. Calderon. Uh, and like Sean said, there are these guys on... Um, dirt bikes and four wheelers wearing like gorilla masks and demon masks and stuff and doing these really kind of no one else can see it, but I'm doing these like big outstretched arms kind of like monster things. Um, And I even tweeted the other night that they reminded me of like mountain goats album art. They totally fit in with that that. aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somewhere between folk and death metal. uh, They fit together. (laughs) I, I like that comparison a lot, Josh. Yeah, I do too. Let's see. Royal is ejected from the hotel he's been staying at. He moves into Richie's old room. Um, <laughs> one of the bellmen from yes. the hotel shows up, uh, mm-hmm. pretending to be his doctor, <laughs> yes. which is amazing. <laughs> it's a great scene. Uh, and he tells the family that Royal can't be moved, although Royal runs all over the right. city for the next few days, which is amazing. I love Royal taking out. Ari and Uzi out on a, like, yes. a dangerous spree yes. of crossing the street, jaywalking. Not crazy about the dog fights. He takes Yeah, some t- not my favorite. Because <laughs> he also did that with uh, Richie. Yeah. And then with yes. the... Um... Yeah. Oh, that's right. He does the dog fighting yeah, earlier in the like, movie, that, doesn't he? That, that yeah, was, with Richie. That's that was right. like the other two were never invited to those like fun, we- fun weekends. And Richie was like the favorite kid. And that, I think that's where a lot of the resentment built up for, like, Chaz and Margot. Uh, I feel like this is where you really start to see um, Hackman come alive in I this think movie, so. though. Yeah. Um, that whole montage with uh, uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard playing in the background, I, it's just so fun. And it's uh, I, I watched the trailer again before we did this, too, and they use a lot of the clips from that montage in the trailer, which I thought was interesting, too. Um, and... I don't know. I, I yeah, just a very random thing, like riding on the cement tr- other garbage truck or whatever and stealing. Yeah. It is very random. Uh, I love that they're like driving go-karts. Yes. Uh which is uh there's also a go-kart in Rushmore uh, mm-hmm. that he is Max is part of the go-kart club or something, the small yeah. engine club, I think. Um Yeah. Uh, and I love that kind of through line in these things. Looks like a couple days later, Royal and Ethel walk in the park and he tells her how much he thinks of her. Um, mm-hmm. And he's really kind of sweet and charming for the first time. And yeah. Ethel like warms up to him a little bit. That mm-hmm. little moment where he says, thank you for raising our kids. Yeah. Genuinely yes. yeah. or something. Right. 
Uh, there's a lot of weight behind that moment, and yeah. she kind of brushes it off, but I think deep down she's hit pretty hard by yeah. that. Yeah, and then poor Danny Glover behind the tree with the groceries. <laughs> so poor <random>. Danny Glover. <laughs> well, I was just yeah, like, the most real, like, why was he there with the groceries? <laughs> it's so... Very weird. I mean, they wind up together, so it's not s sad, but it's sad up until that point, really. Because Royal confronts Henry about proposing to Ethel. Uh, mm -hmm. And then he gets really shitty and racist. Like he does yeah. get incredibly of, racist. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, he. It, what is he? Call, like he calls him Coltrane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's the that start scene. of it. Yes. And it's he's just poking him. He's he's trying to get a reaction out of him. It's the only reason he's doing it. But he has so little scruples that he will go there, right? Just to try to try to get him in trouble, basically. Yeah, I would say he's more in asshole territory than son of a bitch territory during these scenes. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, yeah. Like there's being uh, a salty old man who's cantankerous and hard to get along with, but, and then there's being a racist. Yes. <laughs> like exactly. those two are very different things. Yeah. Yep. Also in this scene, we discovered that they keep the peanut butter in the refrigerator. That was my note, Josh. That was my yeah. note. Who refrigerates their Skippy? That's weird. It's so weird. That's weird. It's so it's weird. Buck wild. It is. Why? It's not. There's nothing natural in that that's keeping it. Like if it's like almond butter where the oil rises the, to the top, maybe understand that. Right. No, I don't it's, even it's, know. Yeah. You're not preserving your emulsion. You're not preserving like the mix <laughs> that you did by stirring it together. It's yeah. just hydrogenated oil. sunflower oil and peanuts. Yeah. Like and sugar like no like, that shit will survive a nuclear winter okay like, yes. you don't yeah. need to refrigerate it i bet you that same jar is still like usable today you know what i mean yes oh guaranteed oh gross uh henry is uh decides to strike back at royal and call his doctors and check out his medicines and he discovers that the doctor's fake the medicine is fake the hospital closed down like 30 years earlier mm -hmm. uh, that he supposedly has gotten all the equipment from i love how bad uh, this lie is not only is it like you could maybe get away with the fake doctor but a fake hospital and then right. danny glover goes is that a tic tac and there's like an extreme right. close up of a green a green mint tic tac in his palm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then after this, um, as he's getting kicked out, Royal says something. I, the real profound moment. He says, "The last six days running around with all these nutters has been the happiest of my life." And the narrator says, "At that point, he realized it was true." And that, yes. that's that's a huge moment yeah. of goddamn. Isn't family better than pursuing job or whatever whatever else? Because yeah. like that rang true with me a lot. My dad pursued his job a lot and really put family by the wayside. And mm. I think in the long run, when he had grandkids and stuff, that he could have been like enjoying the last years of his life. Instead, he had basically been exiled from the family none, none of us had anything to do with him anymore yeah and so this really rang true for me this part yeah oh man i can see how this movie would be be hitting home for you too in that regard Ooh, yeah oh yeah it's good it's good to watch yeah. these movies for me my dad died in uh late 2019 oh. 
and I'm pretty much like at peace with it. And it was as far as like parent deaths goes, as good an experience as it could be, mm-hmm. and mended some wounds. But I still haven't watched Field of Dreams. Let's oh, put it that yeah. way. <laughs> That's fair. I, I recently baseball did. I mean, I love Field of Dreams. Recently, baseball did that Field of Dreams game mm-hmm. in Iowa with the cornfield. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely started crying when Kevin Costner was walking around and they were playing the music from Field of Dreams. Yeah. And, like that whole thing just felt magic to me. Yeah. Yeah, we have we Courtney as, as a, you might not know yet. I don't know. We're starting to have like a tear tracker on this show. Oh, I love There's it. All the times oh. that Josh and I cry during this oh. shit. So okay, cool. I'm in. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to cry. I'm ready to cry at a moment's notice. Um, believe me, it will happen. Um, yeah. It, to your maybe maybe wait to watch Life Aquatic for a little bit. <laughs> I might just give that a minute. (laughs) If that's where you're at right now, I think it's a beautiful movie about a father and son relationship, but give it a year or so. I don't know. I hear you. I love that movie. That movie still makes me cry. And my dad and I have a fine relationship. Um, But that, yeah, that movie still makes me cry to this day. So just as a, as a trigger warning, I guess. I got, sometimes I just bring it on myself. I just think, exposure is the best medicine just let's just weep it out you know let's just watch some fucking heavy heavy shit and just go through it i cried watching the fucking trailer for the uh oh god that new marvel movie coming out uh shang chi art movie coming out i cried during watching that trailer so that's you know and then watching some of the press for that i just cried the whole time watching that so there is that i think i just wasn't in the mood to like except any i don't know it was just a weird day for me but i cried like crocodile tears so i understand watching trailers and interviews and just crying wait the crocodile tears are fake tears are they those are fake yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think the phrase crocodile tears is like when you're faking sympathy or empathy for someone oh then definitely not that this is definitely me like (laughs) had to wash my bed sheets and my pillowcase because it was just it got to be too much um no that, yeah i still like i'm not driving to work i teared up thinking about that trailer and i don't know why so I just i'm gonna watch that movie well, it looks good you're in good you're in good company here on nashville ca good um <laughs> we're an emotional podcast and we wear it on our shoulders. i love it i that's i think where josh and i one of the one of the ways we connected to is just we're both very emotional people <laughs> Yep. We love mo- Boss, wait, do you wear things on your shoulders? Because I'm pretty sure I meant to say Sleeve. we wear our hearts in our sleeves. But uh, instead, it came out as we wear it on our shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> I think it works, though. I think it works. I have very weak shoulders. They're not very big. So I don't know. I think my, my sleeve itself, I have beefier You know, that arms. was the first thing I thought when I logged in today and saw you on camera. I thought, those are some weak shoulders. <laughs> weak ass shoulders. God, how has she made it through life like that? How pathetic. Uh, no wonder she was put up for adoption. Just kidding. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Josh, where are we in this no, movie? We're close, to, we're close to the end. We gotta be. I'm so sorry. Yes, <laughs> we're we're stepping into the next sequence. I want to hit is the most devastating sequence in the movie. Oh for yeah, me. it's 
Yeah. Oh, we know um, this scene. We, we know. Raleigh, Raleigh and Richie have hired a private investigator to look into Margot and what she's doing because <laughs> um, she's so secretive. And they find out all about her past, which there is a great montage yes. of her and all of her ex-lovers uh, that is... It's really cute. I love it. I <laughs> actually, I, know. I like seeing all the different guys that she's I been love with. At the end of this montage, after seeing all of this like wild adventure that Margot's lived on, Bill Murray Raleigh goes, "Oh, so she smokes?" Yes. Like that's the only <laughs> thing he picked up from this entire thing is yes. that she smokes cigarettes. Yes, I love it. Yeah, the music uh, was perfect. Both Raleigh and Richie are just devastated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dudley's in the room too. He doesn't react at all. <laughs> He's just like, okay. And yeah. So the next sequence, I don't know how to approach it. It is literally one of the most affecting pieces of filmmaking that I've ever seen. It stuck with me for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't hear the song needle in the hay without Ugh. getting chills yep. and thinking of this sequence. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Elliot Smith has his own, um, place in my heart then that is very soft and tender as well. Um, but we follow Richie as he goes into the bathroom and he cuts off the long locks and beard that he's been wearing since his on court meltdown years earlier. Um, and in the middle of shaving, he says, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow and then proceeds to slit yeah. his wrists. Uh, we see, we see later that it, he, he went at his arms. It's not just like mm-hmm. a weak attempt. He hit all of his That was veins. the part I found truly shocking yeah. was when it showed his wounds and each forearm had three, you know, parallel cuts to the forearm. Like not, not the Hollywood mm-hmm. cuts. These right. looked like genuine suicide attempt cuts. Yeah. And um I was curious what you guys took about his line of, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. And then he has this kind of montage flashback of memories of growing up and of Margot. And then we kind of flash cut back and, you know, he's he's done it. Right. I, was, I was curious about that. So everyone else has gotten to be vulnerable. Uh, so this is this is my yes. moment here. Um, about 11 years ago, I had a suicide attempt and one of the things that was the most kind of shocking is even now looking back at it, how, um, out of Mm -hmm. place it seems to me. And like, I can see the sequence of events that led up to it. And at the time it was very much like, oh, I will kill myself someday. That was just like what I lived with in my heart and in my head all the time. And then I just had the opportunity to. uh, And I tried and failed, thankfully. And literally, um, like this movie sticks with me so much because both his impulsiveness in the act itself feels correct. Um, Like there is planning and then it's kind of an all at once. The dam breaks. Um, and then his mm-hmm. lightness afterwards, when he wakes up, when he regains consciousness in the hospital, um, he's mostly kind of bemused by the yeah. whole situation. He doesn't 
it doesn't seem as shattering to him as it does to everybody yeah. else around him. Uh, and I definitely, when I woke up after my attempt, I had, I felt so thankful and so light that I was waking up in a pile of puke, yeah. <laughs> literally, uh, at that point in time. And it was like, I remember the sun coming through the, the windows and uh, just feeling like there was a combination of like, well, shit, I couldn't even yeah. do that. Like, and also how much worse yeah. can things get? Things can't go downhill yeah. from here. Well, <laughs> this has got to be the bottom. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you shared that, man. Um, I'm really, yes. I'm really Thank glad you you're sharing here. That too. I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, me too. God, I don't know what I'd do if you weren't here, Josh. <laughs> and you're Thank such you. a wonderful yeah. dad and uh, a husband Thank and you. I don't know, a podcast yeah. host. Uh, <laughs> and I, Most importantly, <laughs> podcast host. I, I will say genuinely, Josh, like when you and Liz, like just those past couple of years, you guys taking the time to reach out to me during all of my hard stuff. Um, now I'm getting emotional. I'm so thankful you're here because I am so thankful for this friendship and I I I really I I don't know how much it came across, but I really leaned on you guys during all that time, and I'm very thankful that you're here. Yeah. So. I anyway. love you, Courtney. I think you're great. I love you too, Josh. Josh and no, I have only known each other. Emotional because I love you. I love you too, Sean. We just <laughs> Me met, too. but I love you too. Oh, Courtney, I love you. I've only <laughs> known Josh for like we've only been really like close and in touch since essentially March 14th when on Pi Day when we watched Pi together. Oh, so yeah, there's yeah. actually oh. like a start date to our friendship and relationship. Yeah. But, oh, fuck yeah. I love Josh. Hell yeah. I do too. And I, <laughs> it's I, a great story. That is an amazing story. And um, I guess to that point of like the, how that scene was impactful, I do agree with you that it it is like, I think another thing with Wes Anderson with this movie, like I talked about with the adoption stuff earlier, I think it is like pe it, it, people could see it being played off for like kind of like a, a, a weird, like like offbeat laugh or whatever. Like he's very like light and kind of like whatever afterward. But I think it is very genuine. Like when you go through a situation like that, it's just like, yeah, I did that and I'm here now and it's fine. And it's like, I don't think not, I don't think mm -hmm. that many people understand that, but it is a very like real emotion and how you feel because i've been in that a similar position josh as well where it's just like oh well yeah the suicide note was dark and then but now i'm here right now sitting here in front of you like yeah it, it's very uh right. weirdly specific and weirdly like very like relatable it and i i don't know how wes anderson pulled that off i'm never as worried about myself as my family is worried about yes me. that too <laughs> uh, i i like, my family worries about me so much more than I worry about myself. I mean, it's just because with depression, you get used to certain things, and so you're just accustomed to mm -hmm. certain, you know, and, and I have ups and downs that seem to go for a few months at a time, and <clears throat> thankfully, mostly it's ups lately, but when I do go down, I know what dark thoughts I have and what all this shit is, but I also know that it's all yeah. fake. But it's hard for me to express any of this to my family because they will treated as like a real threat even though it's like yeah i'm being fucking dramatic and nihilistic and existential and pretending that like the world's ending and everything else but deep down i know i'm gonna pull through this mm -hmm. on the other side but you don't know i know yeah. this so it's like so it's hard to share right. sometimes yes. your darkness yeah. with people because they'll worry and it's like there's nothing to worry about i experience yeah. this all the time this is just like my day-to-day yeah, -day. I, I you know yeah 100% yep. where it's like you it's 
even with, with like a therapist or something, you can't even fully express that because then they'll be like, well, we got to put you on suicide watch or whatever. It's like, no, this is just how I feel. I know tomorrow mm -hmm. or in an hour from now, it'll probably be a little bit less bad or probably fine. But I need to get this emotion off of my chest because it is a genuine, it is real in this moment and it's valid. But, um, but don't, I, yeah, people take it a little too, not, they shouldn't take, not that they shouldn't take it seriously, but they think that they, they take it out of context a little bit sometimes. Yeah. That's why it's a blessing to have a friend who's had similar experiences. Mm -hmm. I agree. Cause then you can go to someone like Josh and say, Hey, no need to be alarmed. Yeah. But here's my thoughts lately. Yes. Right? And this is normal stuff, but this is also what I'm going through. And you can share that without concern of concerning someone else. Yes. Uh, so I don't know what else we want to hit in the movie. Oh, oh, um, um, I think, um, there's definitely stuff. Oh, Ben, Ben Stiller tackles a priest. Ben Stiller tackles yes. a priest. <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, and I will say, okay, so Owen Wilson, Owen Wilson, Eli goes after having his intervention, essentially goes on a complete bender. Yes. And is this where you're at? He shows up in his car, yeah. painted face, looks like Native American war paint, maybe? I couldn't yeah. quite figure out what he was going for. With his character and his, like, douchey cowboy way, I figured that was the gist of it, was co-opting that Native American warrior spirit or some cocaine bullshit right. idea. And, uh, yeah, I think he tries to destroy the foundation of the thing that he's always wanted to be but never been allowed to be and right smashes his car into the building yeah and then kills buckley <laughs> that poor dog this family's lack of reaction to buckley dying yeah. upsets that me that does bother me where i think the two boys are just like buckley was the cutest little I dog he, he, like, he had a bounce to his step yeah and those poor boys were just like well our dog is dead and then everyone's just like well we'll get you a new dog and immediately have a dalmatian which is interesting because chaz created the dalmatian mice so yes. i like that that little tie back of like his childhood coming into his life with his sons so that maybe that could be i don't know if that i'm sure that was meant to, I, i'm sure that was yeah. is intentional yeah I did like um, that Dalmatian connection again, yes. but you can't just you can't just replace a dog. No. I know many people try to, yeah. but I feel like that's a really shitty way to be a pet owner is to just immediately replace your lost animal with another. Like I know, go through the grieving process, yeah. uh, confront it, deal with it, and grow from it. I mean, like, it, it hurts, but that's kind of the point, you know. Yeah, like those two boys literally just lost their mom like two years ago and now they lost their dog and it's just like give them like a second mm -hmm. to just maybe think about things <laughs> and um, you know and again I think I wonder sometimes I, I'm looking maybe too much in the psychology of it but like a lot of these characters are played kind of almost deadpan and I don't know if it's like a shock kind of like oh yeah this is just life this is how it is I get that's played for laughs and that's Wes Anderson style but I think with, with Margot and those two boys have just like, yeah, well, our dad makes us work out twice a day. Like, that's just like how they're coping with grief as like young boys. I wonder if that was maybe intentional or if I'm just looking into it too much. I don't know. Um, there is the line at the, at, uh, there is that line. Um, 
where uh, Chaz and Royal are talking and he just starts, he finally breaks down. He's like, it's been a hard year, dad. And that line fucking gets me every single time. That, yep. Every time. That line started yeah. it where I was like, okay, my throat is now pinching yeah. tight. <laughs> and then as we progress to the final ending and we get this nice montage of the end of Royal's life who has a heart attack at 68 yeah. years old or whatever. And um, Chaz is the only one there to witness his dad's death and he's holding his hand in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment for me personally that I flash back to being alone in the hospital with my dad at the end. And um, that just, that ending broke me. Yeah. It, it was happy tears though. Um I mean, it was just, it was a lot of tears. It was kind of like, as we'll see later with Amelie, when she asks, is this going to cause happiness or sadness yeah. or nostalgia? Yeah. And it's like, this is going to cause all of those yeah. emotions. I'm going to experience all of those things at the same time yeah. right now. And that's that's really how I felt at the ending of this movie. It's It's such a beautiful closing to this movie that really just... Even though it's it's sad, it is nostalgic and warm blanketed mm -hmm. and just kind of feels true to what it is to be human and to have loss and stories that don't quite have the closure that you might want them to have. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Both of you have said what I think are the smartest things I've heard in out loud by actual people in months during oh. this conversation. Uh, and I think that's great. Thanks. Thanks, bud. I'll take it. <laughs> kind of hurts my feelings because we've been recording <laughs> episodes for months. But I'm glad I can bring that out in you, though, Sean. I'm glad that, you know, good to bring out the best in people. Courtney, you've been so wonderful, and we're only halfway done, by the way, so reserve <laughs> some of that oh, energy. No. we got a ways I, to I go. Mean, <laughs> talking about movies. Courtney, I want to have you back, though, for sure. I've, I've loved Me this too. vibe. I've loved what you've Likewise. brought to this. This has been so much fun. Thank you so for far. having me. I would love to be a professional podcast guest. I think that's what I'm aiming for in life. And just like talking about movies, like, mm -hmm. I, like I don't know if Josh has shared, but I also have a movie podcast and it's like that. It just gives me the most joy talking about movies is it's like, I love, love, love them. Okay. We have, we have really strict rules around here. So you need okay, to save your plug mind. for the end. <laughs> We're really strict and regimented. We have a schedule That's that we fair. like to follow. Clearly, yes, this is not plug time. Two and a half hours <laughs> in, but we're halfway through. <laughs> okay, so Courtney and Josh, how would you rate yes. the Royal Tenenbaums out of five? Oh man. Uh, oh, I mean, I'll I'll go four point nine because I don't like the racism, <laughs> but. It is my favorite movie. Yeah, I just don't care for it. I, don't, I mean, call me crazy, but That's... I don't. I'm not into racism. It doesn't. You know, it it doesn't feel necessary no. to, in order to dislike Gene no. Hackman's character at all. And I think they could have gotten all of those points across. Like we had, or we had already been fully sold on this guy being a calloused, distant father. Yeah. I think that was one hurdle mm -hmm. too much. And I think I get it was 2001. It was a different, diff, you know, different landscape for like entertainment. I understand that. I can like have a bit of like, yeah, I understand that was 20 years ago. But at the same time, like for, it, it, yeah, it just feels misplaced for being a relatively timeless movie, you know, and a relatively mm -hmm. heartfelt movie. I don't see why that was 
needed. It just it's I skipped that scene most of the time because it's so uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, four point nine because everything else is perfect and it's my fa it's my favorite movie ever made so far. Who's to say there's something that won't, that won't change that? But for the past. 12 years it's been my favorite movie yes josh how about you my friend i wish that i had thought of of point nine as being an oh. option uh because i think in half stars because we use letterboxd uh and otherwise i would go for point nine i round up to five because that is the closest oh, thing josh, how dare you <laughs> i'm josh. condoning the racism <laughs> now. up for racism oh well. my god <laughs> God damn it, Josh. Oh. This is my alt-right yeah. coming out party, guys. Courtney, do you want to I replace Josh as yeah, co-host of Nashville Natural. CA? That's perfect. I, you don't even have I to change the name. I'm yes. not a white guy Josh, with a beard, out. so that already changes things up. Oh my god. Do you know how much better our marketing know, will be? Because really like, there's a million of me, but there's, there's not, not many of you. There's a lot of sponsors from this. A lot of endorsements. <laughs> so I'm just saying. It's worth using my face for some things. That sounds weird. I mean, I don't... Anyway. Sometimes. <laughs> anyway, I gave this movie a four and a nice. half out of five. Uh, I think it's delightful and wonderful. And I don't know quite what it's missing to make it that five out of five that resonates with me or speaks to me or is a movie that I'm going to go back to again and again. Um, cause mm -hmm. like, everything is there. The execution of this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is yes. close to flawless. So, um, I, I highly recommend mm -hmm. anyone to see this movie for and sure. Sean, 100%. remind me, have you, you had, you had seen this movie before we did the podcast or no? I had seen it once about 15 years ago. So I remembered gotcha. a lot about like the presentation and mm -hmm. Ben Stiller's character um, but as far as the subtle character nuances and gotcha. stuff like that, I didn't gotcha. remember That's too right. much of it. But I, I loved coming back to it, and I, I, ne I need to see more Wes Anderson movies. They're movies that have been on my list for a long time, and like I said, he's just a director that I don't feel compel mm -hmm. compelled to watch. And But every time I hit play on one of his yeah. movies, I end up having I mean, a great time. time. The French so. Dispatch is coming out in October, and I am so excited. It has, again, an amazing cast of characters, and very stoked. That's right. Oh, there's one thing. Um, this movie, I saw hints of Grand Budapest Hotel in it with yes. the bellhops and their yes. uniforms and Gene Hackman becoming one. And then also Gene Hackman at mm -hmm. one point has a missing boar, but there's like a missing yes. framed painting off the wall. And that's like, those are like two huge Grand Budapest Hotel Just things. Just like boy, boy with Apple, the most yes. boring painting to ever exist. Bo <laughs> uh, but yeah, worth no, so much money. I'm not going to make a pun there. Not, uh, <laughs> I was going to say boar without Apple. Oh, God. Oh, and and, it, oh, and it, let's I, take I a break. We're going to our second movie. Wow. A little help. Okay, see, I I held back from calling Courtney a Wes Fanderson. Oh, what I just did earlier. was way worse than that. I would take it. No, I love that. Okay. I mean, all the half of the costumes I have in my closet are just like based on characters he's created. So I love that. Uh-huh. I will one day have that Wes Anderson Halloween party. And you're both invited. Josh might have a little easier of a time getting here. 
I'm going to show up Sean, as but... Mr. Fox. Oh, my God. I would love that. That movie is a badass kids movie. It's going to take eight hours Top to get notch. me into makeup. That's fine. Though. You could stay with Josh and Liz. That'll be great. I think I don't see the problem with it. Yep. Personally. You know, there was a potential plan of that before this goddamn Delta variant started rampaging through the world. Oh. Uh, Josh and I, Courtney, we were going to go like see 12 hours of horror movies together and record yeah. some podcasts from it and it was gonna be like a boys vacation of like but just hanging out and watching movies and not actually doing anything debaucherous yeah. yes i mean like a real nerdy way to like really geek out and but now that sounds amazing i we'll I, I mean and this is obviously not about amelie at all but like what horror movies are y'all talking because Josh and I also have bonded over horror. Another one of the things we've bonded over. Uh, that sounds amazing. Uh, well, have you done the, the 12 hours of terror at the Belcourt Theater ever? I've done, um, I, I don't, is it the same as like I go into like a midnight movie of just like them having just random shit, like random horror shit? Is that the same thing? No, they do that, okay. which I loved because they used to do it a lot yeah. more. It seems like they haven't had as many of the wacky mm -hmm. stuff as much of the wacky stuff recently um but every year they do a 12-hour marathon mm. um and normally there's a band that plays like up at the front of the theater yeah like in between the first several movies and stuff oh okay. um and jason gets up and talks and um the guy who does the local horror movie host on TV yeah. gets up and introduces some of the movies and stuff. Really like interactive evening and they give out candy and t-shirts and stuff. Uh, if you survive the whole night. That sounds awesome. Like, when the morning rolls around, they bring around pop tarts yeah. and stuff. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we're looking to try to do this year. If they're, if they actually hold it or not, yeah. you know, no, no telling if they do or not. I hope so. Cause that's what that'll be coming up in about a month and two months or so. Right. Yep. Halloween. Yep. Cool. I am. Um, I hope so. I actually just got two tickets to see two different movies um, at the Bell Court this coming week. Um, I'll be seeing uh, that movie Coda, which looks like it's going to be like a family tearjerker. But I'm I'm here for yes. it. Yep, Elizabeth just and watched then, it. What was the other one? Oh no, the woman who walked is another one I wanted to go see. It's, um. It is a, I believe it's Japanese subtitled and it's about two women, just two women being friends who are like in ma marriages that they're not happy in and just like, just basically them living their lives as like friends and uh, it looks pretty good. So and it's going to be okay. in the upstairs, like very tiny, like screening room. Um, So those are the two. Oh, I saw Grant and I went and watched Censor <sighs> in that. He told me about that. Room. Yeah, he told me that y'all had like a, a like a little movie date. Yeah. Oh, I love Grant. You got to get him on here too. Yes. Uh, Let me know if you come into town. That would be really fun. I would, and if that, if that happens, I would love to go with you guys. Yes. I'll wear. I'll wear my. Yeah, uh, that'd be awesome. I'll wear my my coziest PJs, my slippers. Mm -hmm. It'd be good. Hook up a catheter so I don't have to leave God. the theater. I'm kidding. To bring like a blanket though and PJs and just like be snuggly and cuddly in a theater sounds delightful. Doesn't okay. it? Oh god, that's all I've ever wanted. That is my that's that's my pro move. Uh lately yeah. uh last or two years ago, I guess it was, um, one of my coworkers bought the rest of us blankets 
and mine says my horror movie watching blanket on it. And it has like Pennywise and Freddy and Jason and stuff uh, all screen printed on it. And so I take it to the theater every time I go now. Because the theaters are so cold, yeah. guys. They're and so I cover cold. up my little legs. Josh, you're such a you're such I a sweetheart, it. Josh. You're so <laughs> sentimental I, and nice and sweet. Oh. I just bring like a jacket usually and just hope for the best and like wear pants. Oh, um, I love to have a I love to have a hood to put up when mm-hmm. I'm in the theater. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't know that was like a thing until I went and saw the newer Star Wars movies with a friend of mine and she pulled her hood up and just kind of cuddled up and I'm like, that blinders mm-hmm. on either side, that's genius. So I do that too. I love that. Have you seen old, Courtney? I haven't yet. That, but that you is gotta one. see old. You gotta see old. That's on my list as well. I need to get out there and see that. Because it's the same... So the kid, or not kid, he's probably like in his 20s, but the actor who was in Pig. Alex who Wolf. Like the, yes, who played the hot shot in Pig is yes. also an old. And I'm like, I I knew him from Nickelodeon when I was younger because I think he, he did a Nickelodeon show when I was younger with his brother. Wait, and I was just like. What, what show? It was called uh, 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 The Naked Brothers Band. What? And that he had was like a, him? Really? Yeah, they had like a little band. That was him. It was him and his older. I think he's the younger brother, I think, because they're both. I mean, maybe they're twins. They're around the same age. They look like the exact same. But I watched that kind of briefly because that was like on my way out from Nickelodeon. I was like, you know, like tween, early teen at that point. But I remember him See, from I think that. This is... oh, sorry, but I never. Um, I, so I never took him or his brother seriously in anything I saw him. because I think he was in like the Fault in Our Stars and other stuff like that, too. Or something like that. But then seeing him in Pig, I was like, oh, this guy's actually a pretty good actor. And he's not, you know, he's not just some like, he's not just some jerk off or whatever. And then hearing that he was an old as well as like making me more like interested in seeing that too. I was was telling Josh that like, so I heard some people really shit on his performance in Hereditary or something else. Yeah, yeah, he was in Hereditary. Hereditary, old and pig. I thought he was really (laughs) solid in all three of those that I've seen him in. And yeah. I liked him in Hereditary as well. I think he's a good actor. I think he just, like, you know, you got to get your break somewhere. And unfortunately, it might just be Nickelodeon or something like that. So you got to make it work. I, I think he might have a case of Adam Driver face. Uh, where okay. because of just his face is how it is, there's okay. just a certain population or a certain percentage of people that just aren't going to like you. Really? And just like, like It's just like... Because this yeah. is me with Emil Hirsch. I was never okay. able to overcome this boundary with Emil Hirsch. He just has mm-hmm. one of those faces. Same with Jordan Gar- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It just, really? Okay. He's got one of those faces that I just don't like. <laughs> I don't like his face. That's fair. I think that's funny. You've listed like like four <laughs> people that I'm like, oh, I love watching them. I loved uh, um, Annette. <laughs> I loved Adam Driver and Annette. I thought that was fucking awesome. And I've liked... I like him and everything he's been in so i'm like oh yeah uh, naturally i would like no, the version of him <laughs> i don't have it with driver though i think um logan lucky is oh, really good so good um, and the man who killed don quixote yeah. is amazing if y'all haven't had if you have three hours of your day to carve out to watch that movie it's so good i haven't seen that one it's on hulu it's just like it, there's not a whole, I mean, it's not, it's like well, how a movie was probably filmed in the seventies where there's not like action and plot every other second, but it's just like a movie that happens, mm-hmm. but it's really good. And he's amazing in it. And anyway, I think he's, I think he's usually the best part in every movie he's in though, to be honest, but 
Anyway. Speaking of a movie that doesn't have much action or plot <laughs> and doesn't really go yes. anywhere, yeah. we're talking about Amelie, Woo! a 2001 French romantic comedy directed by Jean-Pierre Junet, starring Audrey Tattoo, Matthew Kozovitz, and many other French-looking people. So, Josh, <laughs> you and I chose this as a response to yes. Courtney's choice of... Royal Tenenbaums. And I think this was more of a, my idea than yours. And what I was going with here was not as, not as much the story, but just the, the presentation of story and the overstylization of story and the color palette is what really made me want to mm -hmm. pair these two together. Uh, I, 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 I can definitely see that. They came out the same year. Um, um I don't know if there was mm -hmm. something like very storybook in the air at the time. I feel like both of these movies are incredibly mm -hmm. earnest and very heartfelt yeah. from their creators. And mm -hmm. uh, I feel like maybe they were kind of a response to like cynicism and nihilism that had been going on up until that point. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. These movies are not cynical at all. Yeah. They both really wear their hearts all over their shoulders and uh, <laughs> coining that term show show like earnest people but earnest people who are trying to essentially get to a happier place of being or help get others around them yeah to a happier state of being yeah i mean to your point with the storybook narrative i mean shrek also came out that same year <laughs> so i feel like that was a common thing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a very Courtney. That's a valid that whole, point. I mean, because this movie is these movies are a little bit shrinkish. Like the here's like a quirky thing, but here's like a story because Shrek was also kind of set up like in chapters. I feel like or like yeah. in a storybook presentation of like, but here's a here's a badass and, soundtrack, and here's some like all star Hollywood cast in the role. I mean, I'm just saying, I. I think it's hey now there's an all-star yes that is my karaoke song <laughs> well yeah uh, it's not really is it no I've done it at the karaoke I have I've that and uh what's that. your go what's your go-to karaoke song I mean that's one of them but I also like doing first date by blink 182 <laughs> and um uh I'm trying to think what else I've done it uh, I'm trying to think what else I've done at karaoke I think those are Kind of oh, and then like the song from Anastasia, the animated movie. I've done that. The duet. I'll do the duet by oh, myself. The, okay. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. The Dude, back to the jersey. Uh, uh, a solo, a solo duet is often the best, especially when a person does both characters. I love doing like the high and the low. I mean, I'm a bad singer across the board, so I, I that's the disclaimer. But I can hit the I can hit either register just fine, but just not in key. <laughs> <laughs> that's the distinction josh what are your karaoke's um i've only karaoke a few times and uh i tend to take it too seriously so it's a little painful to do it um but uh <laughs> the johnny cash song uh it's a johnny cash june carter cash duet of jackson oh uh, has been the one that i've i've done multiple times yeah it's fun and you do that both by yourself <laughs> no that, that's one oh. i've I was lucky enough, uh, my old coworker, um, he's, he has his own PR firm now, uh, Brian Sullivan, Sully, and I got up like my first week working for the, my old company. Uh, we, were on, we went on a road trip and we got up in a bar in 
the middle of Massachusetts and did this song together. And he sang the June Carter cash part. And it was amazing. Like it, it was Aww. perfect bonding moment for two dudes. Yeah. Aww. That's amazing. All right, Sean, how about you? Uh, my showstopper <laughs> is send me on my way by rested root. <laughs> on my way. <laughs> Send me on my way. On my way. Send me on my way. On my way. Send me on my way. But then at the very end, because people think like I'm full of shit and whatever. But then at the very end, there's this big part. I, I'm moving away from my microphone as to not clip it. I know. It goes. Um, on my way. And so I do that, and people people don't know I have those falsettos in me, oh and they lose their minds. Oh, oh my and my God. mic's still clipped. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, incredible. Yeah. I did not know that either. Now, the more you know. I know. The, my falsettos, I don't know what, what it is about my throat, but those falsettos can just go way up there. You, uh, you shocked me so much, I hit the ground. I'm glad that I, ha- I have a, a mat that I stand on. Because I went to one yeah. knee when you hit that high note. It was amazing. <laughs> that was beautiful. Chef's kiss. Thank you. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Thank you for sharing your time and talents with us. <laughs> we need to start we need to talk this about movie. This movie. <laughs> All right. We'll do another high level bounce through this film here. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I do have to mention the fact that we are introduced to the character of Am- Amelie literally at the moment of her conception. <laughs> yes. I love that. Like we see her whole, like from the sperm hitting the egg, we have mm-hmm. met her. Um, yeah. And the, I think uh, Paris in this movie is just as much of a construction as New York is in Royal Tenenbaums. It's like mm-hmm. this, this beautiful idealized version of Paris uh, that she lives in with the, like you mentioned the color palette. Um, Also, I think the geography he plays fast and loose with just in order for things to work out conveniently. And it's totally fine Mm -hmm. because it's charming. Mm -hmm. She lives in a huge city that has 15 citizens in it. Yes. And they all know each other and they all go to the same cafe and the same shop. And so it's this tiny world in this massive world. Yes. Yeah. This movie also has a narrator. I don't know if he is Francis Alec Baldwin, but um, he does have a great (laughs) voice for the narration. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like the narration didn't last through the whole movie, did it? And I just was like on too many drugs yes, or something it, it does. <laughs> by the end. Oh, it does last through the whole thing. And I just got fucked up. Yes. Sorry. It's, it is a little hard to notice because it's in French <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. Like, I don't always know who's talking literally it's the same because everyone kind of, yeah, it's yeah. And I feel I like a stupid, ugly American for that. Yeah. 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 I should have been nope. like, I need to read right now. So <laughs> I have to turn off part of my brain because I have okay, to read. I, this is as good a time as any to mention this. There's a part later where Amelie cuts together a video for a guy in this movie. And there's footage of an uh, American guy dancing on a wooden leg. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking in English. And the, so the subtitle for me moved because there's French subtitles at the bottom of the TV. Yes. And so at my screen, my subtitles moved to the top left. 
but I found that I was still reading the English subtitles like I forgot that I knew how to understand English because <laughs> yes, I've just been reading subtitles for so long that even as this man is just speaking very understandable American English, yeah. I find myself needing to read what he's saying. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, I have friends who aren't the best listeners, so they have subtitles on when we watch movies and I just end up reading those. Mm -hmm. So understand, uh, relatable. There's been a couple times in my life, especially with certain like Northern English set movies where the sound mixing isn't quite there or whatever. And I've just like, you know, I need to throw subtitles on. I can't understand what yeah. the hell's going on. I'm missing a third of this movie. Yeah, I get it. Um, we find out that as a child of six, all Amelie wants is to be hugged by her father. But he mistakes her drumming heartbeat for a congenital defect, and he says that she has to be homeschooled, uh, which is undertaken by her nerve-addled mother. So once mm -hmm. again, very similar. She's educated by her mother. Um, mm -hmm. And the narrator tells us that she is slung between an iceberg and a neurotic. Amelie retreats into her imagination, uh, which I think is a beautiful way to like introduce us to why this world works the way it does and yeah. everything is from her point of view to the point where it changes genre several times yeah. like in the visuals uh there's a point where it looks like a horror movie there's a point where it's an old black and white film she she pictures her own future as a newsreel a couple times mm -hmm. uh i think that's and it's really it's charming and it's well done um the other important point is that Amelie's mother is killed when a suicidal tourist jumps off the top of the Notre Dame Cathedral and lands on her. I just love that note. I don't know why. I do too. It's so messed up. I, just... I love when she's a kid and she's fucking with the guy watching the yes. soccer game and yes. unplugging his TV it. all the time. And the guy's freaking out and... My dumb thought was I, w I wanted to see how that guy would have reacted as a huge fan of The Sopranos oh if he saw the series finale. I love that. I, wanted, I just wanted to be in that guy's apartment at that moment when that screen cuts to black. Yes. I do remember the finale of uh, Breaking Bad. I was in uh, college, I want to say, and I remember watching that. Mm-hmm. Coming home, running home, watching my on my little TV in my parents' house, like in my room in my parents' house, and then for some reason the power cut out. So I don't even I don't even know the ending of Breaking Bad, but I live learned to live with that. Oh my gosh! Wait, but you Breaking Bad, or did I say The Sopranos? You said or Sopranos, but I you said Sopranos. Equated to Breaking okay. Bad. You don't know the ending to Breaking I, Bad? Well, it's just Walter laying on the ground bleeding. Right? Is there anything else that happens? Okay. No, no that, I think like, that's, that's spoiler. That is the ending. Oh. Spoilers for for Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, then never yes. mind that. I guess I don't relate to this totally guy much. <laughs> but there's a movie after. There uh, is a movie. Then Better Call Saul. Uh, Better Call Saul is so good. It is good. Uh, there's a Better Call Saul later moment later in this movie where she's doctoring a love letter. Yes. And mm -hmm. it just reminded me straight of Better Call Saul. Yes. Of Saul fucking with documents and then photocopying them. Um. <laughs> Josh, you completely skipped the fact that they say the goldfish attempts suicide. I <laughs> did. <laughs> they put books over it. But when they pour the goldfish, her mom pours it into the river. It looks up at her 
with the saddest eyes I've ever seen yeah. a fish make. And then, like, the rain starts coming down and kind of drowns the fish, the image of the fish out. It was like, for being a goldfish moment, that felt like one of those moments where a kid tells, like, tells the dog, like, go on, get! I don't want you anymore! Go on! Get out of here! Like, oh, they're heartbroken. Right, yeah. Like when the kid yells at uh, Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Yes. And, or then, yeah. like, some air bud moment of, like, get out of here, buddy! No! Buddy, don't follow me home. I don't want you to be yeah. here anymore. Stay with your clown master. Harry and the Hendersons, that is a good <laughs> reference. Wait, Courtney, I think that scene is the scene that I think of in my yeah. head. I swear, like, you just... Because there's, like, a dog, like, a go-on-and-get get dog out, scene that I remember yeah. from childhood. And I know they're synonymous, but I think it was when the clown owner mm -hmm. of Airbud comes back. Yeah. Wow. And Bud and... Wow, you just really opened up some, like, deep childhood wounds. Oh, shit. Let's get into it. Yeah, because Josh, I think the kid's name is Josh. He's played, like, Kevin Zegers. I don't know what he's up to now. I watched all the Air Bud movies, and he that, the first one was a tearjerker where he's just like, buddy, no, don't follow me. You got to stay here with your owner. No, buddy, stop. And it's just, oh, my oh, God. God it's just... the exact scene I'm thinking. Can, yeah, I, so I can also have talked about Oh my god. I've talked many times also about the fact that I cannot watch or discuss Homeward Bound. Oh no. Um, oh yeah. God no. <laughs> that that the ending of that movie crushes my heart in a way that I can't even talk about. And my dog, I, I have a big dog that's just oh. about to turn 12 years old. Oh god. So I really can't talk about any of this I get stuff it. right no. now. And my mom made me watch Old Yeller. Um, instead of making me read the book, oh, I've never seen it. I can never could. Oh, don't, don't, and that and the red where the red fern grows. Don't even, don't just. I oh, read yeah. where the red oh. fern grows. Yeah, that was a rough. That one. was terrible. Yeah. I still remember exactly where I was on a car trip reading where the red fern grows oh, in the back seat. I was like, it's okay to cry because yeah. my mom won't know I'm crying back there. Yeah. It's, it's like, of course you're gonna cry reading where the red fern grows. Yeah, ding dong. it's just like. I just want to know who is so fucked up to be like, you know what's going to like get me in public schools fucking up some animals. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand why people think that's like what I just who is like going to sit down and type that out on their computer and be like, yeah. And the dog's intestines were dragging on the ground after he like got attacked. by, like, you know what I mean? I just think that's gross. I, I don't understand. It, it's Are like you saying I, that's not part of your stand up routine? It's not. No, I've never once talked about this is I'm traumatized. Same with like one adult, one like men in their 40s, write Like sex scenes for teenagers in books. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> Please stop this. I'm just like, 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 I'm sorry, John Green, but I think it's kind of weird. You write like a 10 page blowjob story. I'm just I, I don't know. I'm just saying I read the book when I was in high school. <laughs> I just think it's weird. I'm, this is just me. This is not part of my stand. It's just me being mad about why is this existing? I've also had two glasses of wine, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this is not professional at this point. It's me just being pissed off. <laughs> anyway. I like, I like these evening episodes because I normally don't drink during our episodes, but our two guest episodes, I've drank during both of them. Oh. And so it's, you know, recording in the evening with a guest, having a few beers or yeah. wine. 
I, I like the vibe of these podcasts. I they sure do seem to go on for a long time. It's going to get to me just yeah. just like to ranting about like, I don't know, like, I don't know, the cost of postage, postage stamps or something. I don't know. We'll get to that point. <laughs> I, I love I, it. <laughs> Car- Cardi, I think you've been on fire. This thank episode. you. Thank <laughs> you. That is why I'm here is to promote my own stuff. So... <laughs> This Isn't that why we're all here? What else we have going on in our life? Just get me yeah, to that like, plug section. All this other bullshit doesn't mean like, anything. Just like fucking Mad Max, but like, let me get to the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it does not feel like Mad Max, for the record. I've never been in Mad Max. I don't know, but this has been very pleasant. I've just been sitting on my ass in my velvet cushion chair. You know who else Aww. has been sitting on her ass? Amelie's neighbor. <laughs> Who wants to get all of her sleep done in one single go so that way after that she can be awake day and night for the rest yes. of her life <laughs> yes i like the little sequence of people saying what they mm-hmm. do and don't like and mm-hmm. i have to agree with the one guy i do enjoy seeing matador matadors getting yes by bulls I do too. that's something <laughs> that brings me pleasure because i yep i don't care if it's part of your culture Part of culture is moving on from things that are archaic and inhumane. Yes. And bullfighting is one of them. I so I don't care if it's part of your culture. Grow up. Move on. Stop fucking torturing and killing animals for entertainment. I agree. I felt like, fuck those guys. Yeah, bull, you kill them. You go after, you go get them. You rip them apart with your horns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. And like, I'm not a vindictive person, but... When I see a bull's horn going through a yeah. man's leg, like literally through it, I just think, yeah, yeah good on you. That's what you deserve. You, deserve yeah, you, that. you go, yep. girl. You get him. I felt the same way when I saw that scene. <laughs> um, the cat, the cat likes listening to children's yes. stories. Creme brulee looks really fucking good, and I've never really? actually eaten it, but in this movie, it looks really when you come good. Come to Nashville, we'll really? get some. Never had. Cool. I, I we'll hook you add up. it add it yeah. to the list. And then my next note is Amelie hears fifteen people having orgasms. Yeah. Yes. Which again in a very similar like Wes Anderson style. Imagine setting up fifteen different shots of couples in different locations, different lighting setups, everything, just to have a three quarter second orgasm shot yeah. of each of them. I know. Uh, that's so much work too- for this payoff in this movie yeah i agree but it it adds to the to the i guess the aesthetic of what that director is trying to get across of like this is what we're setting you up for this is going to be more of an artsy film but like in like a lot of effort for very little payoff (laughs) in that sense of like yeah that is something when we're talking about it right now on a podcast 20 years later so so he did his job he must have succeeded he He clearly he clearly got what he wanted we're us three are talking about it right now so Amelie thinks everything is kind of magical. She lives in her like little solitudinal world. Um, in very quick succession, we meet like her coworkers and the regulars at the diner and the 15 people who live in all of Paris. Apparently yeah. uh, on weekends, she travels back to her hometown to visit her father. She tries to get him to travel. He's like stuck in the past and built a shrine to her dead mother. Uh, and he attends to it all the time. Um, I'd like when they describe that she enjoys small pleasures, like skipping stones at the canal or dipping her hands into a mm-hmm. sack of grain at the grocers. Uh, I, I like, like those are very relatable moments. And 
I can't imagine if you could live your life in right. that state, like constantly, like she does. That's um, she's kind of the ultimate uh, manic pixie dream girl. I in yes. that way, uh, she was the first. I think. Yes, oh, oh. heavy or not the first heavy Scott Pilgrim, yes. Mary Elizabeth Winstead vibes. Yes, very yeah. uh, yes. Uh, summer. That's, I hadn't connected those two dots until now, but you're so very right. Very much uh, five hundred days of summer, Garden State, kind of the same vibe. Mm-hmm. I think. Elizabeth Town. Elizabeth Town. I feel like that movie, Amelie, I think that I, I'd never seen it until this podcast, actually, surprisingly. But I think watching that mm-hmm. at the time period when it came out and like the style and everything like that, I think that it heavily influenced a lot of American uh, movies from there on. And I, I, I see mm-hmm. that in every indie rom-com, indie, indie movie, like any kind of like way they wrote like a female character, I think was very reminiscent of Amelie, which I find interesting. Um, because I'm, she, yes. she was just doing her thing I, and that was the movie. And then everyone's like, Oh, this is what we got to make now for the next 10 years. You know? Yeah. I feel like a lot of the things that came after it didn't put the meat on the bones uh-huh. as well as this movie does. Uh, and that's why, this one, I think, suck, struck such a nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people, uh, no one's, I mean, we might talk about Elizabeth Town at some point in time. I, I do like Cameron Crowe movies. I do too. But... Mine is Aloha. <laughs> Fuck that movie. But like, I know, everything else is great. I know one thing about Elizabeth Town, and it has an exercise bike mm. involved, and it fascinates oh, yeah. me. It yes. does. Um, uh, I have a, I, I'm curious with with you both, Josh. I know you're recently married. Um, does this movie present a false idea of love and what love can be or what love is? And also, does this do women like this exist or is this just a completely like movie idea of that Zoe Deschanel? Amelie-esque character of this like pixie woman who lives half in reality half in like fantasy I, I'm very curious about kind of real world implications of this movie yeah. and this kind of love that's presented here Josh you can go first if you want I have some thoughts <laughs> it'll wow. take me a little while okay. to get them because <laughs> <laughs> you are the married one I think um Yes, I I do think that um, at least the the metaphor that they're getting across with the kind of connection that people Mm -hmm. seek, um, because we see several aspects to love. We see uh, a woman who's been cheated on. We see a man who never leaves his flat, but kind of falls in love with humanity through um, paintings and art. Um, We see a, a couple come together and then break up. Uh, over the course of the film and um, Amelie's father, who was so distant from her, but apparently loved his wife so very much that he's not been able to move on in the 20 some years uh, since her death. Um, And so I do think that this movie kind of explains, especially that the, the main storyline of Amelie and uh, Nino, um, the the sparks that they get at first and the way that you see her radiating heart beating uh when she sees him uh and kind of their their magical time together 
I do think that there's something truthful in it. Um, but I don't think like so many things, you can't stay at that high constantly. I don't think it's something that happens and then fades necessarily. I think it's something that you can revisit a lot of times, uh, in a stronger relationship, but it's, you know, you kind of see all the different aspects of what one relationship can be fragmented through all the other relationships within the movie itself. Yeah. It does make makes sense. sense. And I, I would agree with your sentiment on like, you see several different types of relationships throughout this movie that like work out or don't work out. And like, just kind of like, it gives you a taste of like, these are like how modern people function in the world. Um, and I think with the, uh, Amelie's person, like personal love, love story at the end, I think that's very sweet. I think that can happen. Like those, those meet cutes, like we talked about at the very beginning, um, or what have you, but yeah, like it's hard to maintain that high. And, um, I think that that's where those types of movies serve their purpose of like, okay, they have this back and forth and they finally get together and then the movie ends, you know what I mean? And, um, and to, and to your question Mm -hmm. of asking if those types of women exist, um, not to be like, I think I'm like her, but like I watched that movie and there's a lot that I related to her much like Marco Tenenbaum of just like, I enjoy the simple pleasures in life not necessarily seeking out a relationship, but just enjoying my life. And I think there's that independence of Amelie that I like a lot. Um, again, not never seen this movie until now of like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she just does whatever the fuck she wants. She likes this guy. That's cool. But like, also she won't be destroyed if it doesn't work out and she needs someone to convince her that she should maybe like go for this. And I had, I've had similar conversations with mentors and friends of mine in the past, like of just like, just live your life. And like, if you meet someone cool, then like, don't let that stop you from like, from, you know, from experiencing something cool. And I kind of relate to that on a pretty personal level of just like doing what I like to do and then maybe letting somebody else in my life in that regard. However, I do not look like Amelie for the listeners listening. She very much fits that aesthetic of like early 2000s, like slip dress. Bang. I did have that hairstyle of the, the black hair and the bangs and the very short hair for a while. Um, not because of that movie, just because that's just my natural hair color. Um, so I don't look like her. I don't, I'm not packaged like her, but I think those types of people do exist in some fashion. But I think that's been in some ways maybe weaponized against other people and other women of like, if you're not like this, then you're not smart or interesting. Even though those are qualities that people genuinely have, but they don't look, I don't know. All to say is like, yes, those people exist. Does that make sense? I, 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 <laughs> no, that's great. I, I think yes, you're so right on. And I think what, I think what you're trying to mm-hmm. say is like, it has been fetishized a yeah. bit, that type of personality and many women mm-hmm. like that do exist, but maybe like the presentation, you're not going to get that girl that literally looks like a woodland elf or something, you know? Yes, because rarely do people look like that. Or or just be behavior wise mm-hmm. or how you carry yourself, you know, like Courtney, I could see you having that same attitude as Amelie, but Amelie barely has a single conversation yeah. with anyone in this yeah. movie, you know, like. She's so mm-hmm. withdrawn and so quirky, whereas you can clearly shoot yeah, the shit and you. have like a conversation and flow in yeah. a normal world. So uh, I think that was kind of what I was getting at, but I really appreciate your insight into 
kind of the validation of certain aspects of her. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because I related to a lot of aspects, but I'm just like, but I'm also not emotionally stunted, hopefully, to the sense that I can't talk to another human being. You know, because you kind of, I mean, I get some people are, I mean, we have incels. We have people like that who are not great people who just are like, I'm going to live in my mom's basement and be mad that no one wants to have sex with me and no one wants to talk to me. Those people exist, unfortunately. Sucks for everybody. There's basically involved. an incel in this movie. There is. There is. Yes. <laughs> there is. Yeah, and, but he's like a grown-ass man. Yeah. But uh, definitely gives off vibes of an incel, which makes me really question yeah. Amelie's judgment about who she's trying to set up her friends with. I know, because I'm just like, girlfriend, like, come on. Like, this guy... That dude's a fucking creep. He's so creepy. And it's like, just as he's like, this one girl that rejected him one time. So he sits there and like records everything she does. Again, going back to the one party state, two party state thing. Like, I don't understand whatever, but like, it's, it's a lot. I think the, um, all of the people that we get introduced to right at the beginning, um, they're all damaged in some way, yeah. but he's the, like, also, I hate the grocer. The grocer is a creep. Oh, he's terrible. And he's so mean to Lucian. He's such a dick. Uh, yeah. I don't God. like him either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's, he's a bully. He's, and yeah. I don't like bullies. They're like him and then the incel are the two that I'm just like, you are terrible. There's no redeemable qualities about you. Even when the incel finally gets laid, he's still a dick about it. You know what I mean? I'm just like. Yes. I don't know. You can be thankful or like just be a cool person about it and not be weird. It's so easy to not be weird about things. Maybe that's and my naivety. His, his girlfriend, mm -hmm. his girlfriend that he gets has a job where he can sit and hang out with her and read her funny news stories yeah. all day long uh, in between customers. Yeah. And apparently he just does whatever and can sit in a, a bar or cafe all day long. I know. So it's a pretty damn good life. Yeah. Like what is, <laughs> I what is he bitching that about? Up like, uh, it's kind of like, like friends yes. or how I met your mother where it's like, who, do they even fucking work? What kind of life is that? You know? Right. Same deal. <laughs> Ugh. It looks like sometimes he might be writing something, yeah. maybe, but <laughs> no, and most of the time he's just being a fucking creeper and recording yeah. things. Can I just have uh, that job as being professional creep? Because I could make that work. We could all, <laughs> all of us can make this work. I could stalk work. somebody. Yeah, easy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you pay me, pay me a livable wage and give me health insurance. I can stalk someone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I have the camouflage. I have the face paint. I have the walkie talkies. <laughs> I have it all. I'm ready to go. So you're ready to go. You have a ghillie suit. You just need a 401k. I have duct tape and shovel in my trunk. I mean, yeah. no, I don't. <laughs> you have um, chloroform ready so to go. So speaking of the shop owner, I love Amelie taking his key and fucking yes. with him in his apartment. And there's a great too. Spanish movie called Sleep Tight um, from 2011. It's from Spain, and it stars this actor named... Luis Tosar, who I've seen in a couple of Spanish movies, and he's awesome. And it's just a movie about a guy who works at a super, super bougie condo place, and he's the doorman. And so mm -hmm. while people are sleeping and while they're gone, he essentially fucks with their lives out of spite. 
and it's pretty awesome. So check out Sleep yeah. Tight from 2011 if you're interested in that. I'm going to write that down right now. This is what... See, Courtney, this is what Letterboxd is good for, because mm-hmm. I just put it on my watch list. Oh! Courtney, are you and not on Letterboxd? Are they a sponsor? Because I can pretend that I am. If you, if you <laughs> can get them to sponsor it, then yeah, but... I, no, I, fuck Letterbox until they sponsor us. Okay, no, but I like you, I like Letterbox a lot. But I will look though. into your subscription service. But fuck you. Yeah, fuck you, Letterbox. <laughs> I love your service and I love your app, and it's the only social media I use. But you can fuck yourself. <laughs> um, I will look into them. This is how Josh and I earn that little explicit e oh, tag on our podcast. It's, it's cursing out Letterbox, <laughs> telling things that we enjoy to go fuck themselves. Yes. Nothing else. Don't go it's, fuck like, it's like the most. I, I like to think that we have one of the most like positive, well-intentioned, explicit <laughs> podcasts around. I think so. From yes. what I've listened to, I'm like, this is very wholesome. You throw in a fuck or an asshole every now and again, and that's fine. It's very wholesome. Yes. No, it's it. It wasn't really the intention, but it's kind of become like a mantra of the show is to just not get bogged down in the negative and focus on the things that we like more than the stuff that we don't. I think that's beautiful. And truly. It is. I think it's just, it's easy to tear shit apart. You know, it is. it's, it's tough to mm-hmm. build a case to, to build a foundation of why you like something. I think that's, that takes a lot more work. Yeah. And I think like, I, I've thought about this before too, where it's like talking about movies and stuff where it's like, yeah, it's easy to shit on the director or whoever. And it's like, but yeah, that took a long time to make that movie. And like, I don't know. And when you, once you start working in production and stuff, which I've started to do a little bit more on the production side, I acted as a kid. Um, it's like, yeah, this takes a long time. So regardless, like if it's going to get greenlit, you got to believe in it wholeheartedly and make that happen. And so it's like, it's so easy to be like, oh, that's stupid. But it's like at some yes. point there were a hundred or so people thinking this is going to be great. So I have to think, keep that in consideration of like, this was somebody's like dream, you know. Movies are miracles. That's after having made several of them now and been through the process. It, yeah. The kind of the low indie to mid indie level, which I have done uh, Mm -hmm. and even working on bigger, like reality TV show things. um, Mm -hmm. Even those, even America's next top model, like I don't care for the content, but the actual creation of it is a miracle of production and logistics and getting like all these people marching in the same direction. It's insane. And yeah, uh, so I, you have to have an inborn appreciation, I think, for anything this large scale that gets created. Yeah, I um, when I did like acting as a kid, I just showed up as like the kid actor who did like commercials and like indie, indie stuff and whatever. And um, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is so easy. I show up, stand on my mark, talk for a little bit, then go sit down with my mom or what. Because I was like, mm-hmm. I was like young and then. As an adult now trying to make this, like, trying to, like, make stuff as an adult, like, be on the production side of directing and writing, it's, like, I haven't made anything yet because it's just so hard. It's, like, one of those things where you can watch all the videos, learn from people, PA on as many things as you can, but then it's, like, it comes down to, like, the the, the brass tacks of just, like, making something and, like, getting people who believe in your vision is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been an interesting revelation. From That's as a person where I'm at personally in my life right now of, like, how do I get people to want to be in this thing that i'm making 
You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I'm sure you know what I mean, but yeah. Josh and I have been talking about movies like um, The Battery yeah. recently as one or some other like really, really micro budget indie movies. And I think the appeal of those makes so much sense of having a crew of less than 10 people because then it becomes manageable. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. that's kind of the magic of indie now and of the cameras and the editing software and everything is that it's becoming more and more manageable, I suppose, to a degree. But that also depends on the script written locations, all of that sort of stuff. But um, overall, I, I, I don't know. Josh can speak to this a lot more than I can, obviously. But it, it seems like everything is more accessible or you can do more with fewer people these days. Oh, definitely. I mean, um, uh, Courtney and my... I don't know what the grammatically correct way to say that is our collective friend, uh, Whitney. Um, yeah. Often uh, she's made a lot of stuff and a lot of times it's just me and one other person um, or her husband and one other person, uh, you know, yeah. like a three or four person crew crew rolling. Um, and we've made some really cool stuff that I, I'm proud of. And I hope she is. I think she is. Uh, I think she that, keeps yeah. <laughs> working in that same style with the yeah. the same few people repeatedly. So it's great. Yeah. I'm actually getting ready to uh, work on a uh, music video shoot, shoot with Whitney on Wednesday. So um, yeah. And awesome. she kind of keeps like, she's kind of a Wes Anderson type person of keeping the same people in her like kind of stable of like, these are the people I work with all the time. And I like them because it's like, I think it's me and Alyssa uh, and a few other folks, Lizzie, a few other folks she's worked with in the past. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm just doing PA stuff. Um, but yeah, I think Whitney kind of works in that same style of like, I like these people. This is what I'm going to do. X, Y, and Z. That's that. Yep. And that's, so, um, I, but another part of kind of the ease of production that I see is like, Josh and I watched Blue Ruin recently. And that's mm -hmm. a movie that I feel like had a micro crew. And yeah. one part of that seems to be using natural lighting as much as possible. And yeah. I, I don't, both these movies were so perfectly lit that it did feel like they were naturally lit. I'm sure both of these movies had mm -hmm. extensive lighting in them, but the amount of light that you get floating through the windows in both of these in, in Amelie, especially I love that every window that you see yeah. in the apartment buildings and stuff is just loaded with houseplants. There's just plants and life yes. covering the sets of this movie. And as someone who like recently got into houseplants within the past year, now I appreciate them yeah. and I see like how much life and vibrancy they bring to things. And so now I'm just like, I, I notice mm -hmm. houseplants in like everything that I see and how special they are. And they, yeah. I, they used to be something that I completely ignored and thought they were just a nothing thing at all. And now that I have houseplants and I care for them, they, they they bring so much life and happiness to me. And so to see them all throughout yeah. this movie, this movie which is so full of life, um, and these sets that are so warm, and both these movies I think have a very similar color palette, which is just warm and mm -hmm. cozy and saturated colors and browns and fuzzy lighting. And yeah. just They both feel so warm, these movies. I agree. So instead of walking through every beat of this because everything is so interwoven. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you guys 
maybe what your favorite storyline or characters are uh, in the movie that we follow. Uh, did anything stick out to you in that way? Did anybody in particular speak to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, uh, the titular character, Amelie, I think was very relatable in a lot of mm -hmm. sense of just like, you know, I, I posted, Josh, I know you liked on my Instagram page recently of just me posting that last little bit of like, you, my bones are not fragile and you have healthy bones, but if you don't go after this opportunity, your heart will become brittle and it'll break. And I've had many people tell me that in the past, in my life, just over the time of just like, be open to love, be open to experiences and don't be so closed off. And that's, um, uh, been something I've tried to work on actively in my life throughout my, my teens and my twenties, um, that I think has gotten me to a better place now where I'm at right now. And so I, I relate a lot to her of just being like, kind of closed off and yet looking at the world of being like, I want to fix everybody and want to help everybody else, but not work on my own self. And I still struggle with that of like, like I mentioned earlier, matching my friends up with like lifelong partners, but yet not even really looking at my own self <laughs> and being like, Oh, maybe I deserve love and happiness. I don't know. But like these people would be great together. And I, it's the same kind of, I didn't re I guess. Yeah. I guess I realized I have kind of a similar Amelie, Amelie, uh, uh, narrative of like na matching all these people up and hoping for the best and really forcing them to be together or like whatever. Cause like, even recently talking to a friend of mine who's trying to start a small business, I'm just like, well, I'm going to message all of my friends. I'm going to make this happen. And if they reply to you, I'll send you a screenshot. Like it was just me just being so adamant and like, this is going to happen and not really focusing one on if they want this, me to be this aggressive and two, what am I doing for myself? You know? And so her and her love story, I thought was very interesting of just several, just like interactions with somebody who was like, she liked but did not really approach or whatever um and he didn't approach her very relatable it's um i'm very much a, like very much if i help you approach me kind of a situation i don't very i don't uh put myself out there too much um because i just assume people don't like me and i i feel like in her in her perspective she might feel might have felt the same way of like they're not into me i'm not thinking about this sort of thing so i'm not gonna bother and I got that a little, again, projecting, but I, cause I do the same thing of like, eh, well, I'm just going to hope that they just want to be my friend. So anyway, so her love story and the way she lived her life and navigated things is very relatable to me. I would say that's very much of a Courtney, uh, um, like 18 to like 23 year old Courtney of like, uh, not reflecting on myself, but really projecting on other people and what I want them to be, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was totally. that was a beautiful self analysis. I, I don't know. Thank that you. was like a moment of clarity. Thank you. That was really beautiful to witness. Lots of therapy. I was uh, just like, Courtney, you do these things. Oh yeah. Yeah, and like you want these for other people, but you don't want this for yourself. So it's a lot of. And I, I feel like it's pretty obvious. I've been in a lot of therapy on and off throughout my life to be able to just come on here and just spew all of this super personal stuff and yeah but i mean i don't know i like that i i think it's a sign of strength when you can share your weaknesses and share thank you deep stuff like that you know i never shut the fuck up i think that's what the problem is <laughs> so one thing i related to when you were saying there is like my god if if i would follow the advice 
that I would give to my friends when they seek advice from mm -hmm. me, I would be the most incredible person in the world. Yeah. Like, or like, yes. or the amount of effort that I'm willing to give out to my friends to help a friend move or right. I recently hiked property carrying a weed whacker for a couple miles so I could clear off this one area of my friend's property. Like, I'll go so far for my friends that I won't go that distance for myself. I I'm with you. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah. Anomaly is the same way, I think. Yes, absolutely. And I I do love that's kind of the ending of this movie is um her her glass man friend, I don't recall his name. Um Mr. Monsieur Dufayel. Thank you. Basically telling her like, hey, you do so much for everyone else, but you need to do something for yourself yes. or you're going to waste this. Yeah. And that, that as a 34 year old single man, like, Oh shit. God damn it. Dufayel. I've, I've really wasted some opportunities here. Haven't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and his line would probably be my favorite, um, because of the fact that it is where Amelie goes. So Mr. Dufayel, uh, hasn't left his apartment in 20 some years. Um, he, his bones are like crystal. They tell you the, right. the narrator says, and all of the furniture in his house is padded and he's always wearing a thick coat and knee pads and, and elbow pads. And I think that, um, the fact that he has painted the same painting over and over again and says that he can capture everybody's expression except for the woman drinking the glass of water and Amelie immediately starts projecting onto that character in this painting. It's a Renoir painting, I believe um, that he is uh, recreating. So it's not even his own painting that he's making. It's like a simulacrum of someone else's vision of life. Um, you know, it's, it's two steps removed from actual life. And the fact that she goes there repeatedly and they have these very pointed discussions about what is the intention of the woman in the painting. And it's, they're always talking about Amelie. She's always mm -hmm. projecting herself into that role. Yeah. And she takes offense when, when Monster Dufiel says, uh, you know, that she's uh, inattentive or that she's going to be lonely because she's not connecting with anyone else at the party in the painting. Mm -hmm. um, it leads to her greatest moments of like introspection um, apart from, you know, the rest, the rest of the time she is, she's entirely focused on other people. Yeah. And it's only kind of after talking to him um, where you get someone who is specifically focused on her, everyone else is living their own life. She's focused on everybody else um, interfering and trying to cheer them up and uh, make their lives magical. And no one does that for her except for him. And I really like that this man who hasn't experienced any of this life himself wants to be able to give that to her. That's his ultimate advice to her yeah. is to go for something to try to attempt to have something in your life. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love all the little scenes uh, in his like very cramped little apartment. Uh, you know, I think, and the actor playing him just like, I was struck by the lines in his face. He yes. just looks like he's lived a full life, <laughs> like an old fashioned character actor. I agree. Yeah. Very compelling. Yes. Josh, do you think going back to watching Pi 
he has a bit of a they have a bit of a Saul and Max uh oh, relationship. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The old the it's... old wise man kind of trying to raise his protege to not make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the only moment where in both movies where the characters will speak truthfully about themselves, uh, and they're not like having some sort of other delusion going on. Uh, I think, you know, theirs is through the metaphor of the game of go, um, all the time and the language of mathematics, but I think it's kind of Max at his most vulnerable. It's the only person that he actually lets in. Mm -hmm. Well, and they both speak truth and their game is kind of videotape. It's yes. Which by the way, that footage of that horse jumping the fence and then like interfering with a tour de France race or whatever. Is that, is that real? Am I an idiot for questioning if that's real? What's, do you know what's going on there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. That's an aspect that I didn't actually look up. Yeah. It's something I didn't really research either. I'm just like, Oh, it's part of the movie. Okay. Yep. As it was happening, I was wondering. Cause there was so much, there was so much about, Lady Diana in this right. movie, which I thought was really kind of strange. It was, it was almost like, well, they tried to play it off like this was the like a butterfly effect yes. where her hearing about Lady Diana led to her dropping the cap on her bottle, which knocked the tie which led to her finding that little like box. toy chest yeah. full of that guy's things. And then she right. sets up the phone booth with the trap to get him to see his childhood nostalgia box and that's a beautiful moment, by the way, when he opens that box mm-hmm. and he looks at some of those little toys that he has. I, I feel that because I feel like my mom lives in the same house that we moved into when I was about four or five years old. Yeah. And so every once in a while, I'll go through like, some random cabinet or something or a drawer that no one's been in in years and I'll find some like old relic of childhood. And it'll just bring back exactly what this movie said. Happiness, sadness, and nostalgia all at once. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but a few weeks ago, uh, I took my middle daughter up to visit uh, her grandparents right before school started. And while we were up there, um, we helped clean out a little bit of my parents' uh, one of their storage sheds. And... My mom gave my daughter a box of my old VHS tapes of uh, videos and movies that I made when I was in grade school and up through high school and an old uh, like mini DV camcorder and a bunch of old tapes. And so she's been going down that rabbit hole of looking at these artifacts of my life before she was around uh, and you know, she's like, you're the same, but they're, you're just less, you're, you're smaller all the way around. And I'm like, like physically, cause that's kind of rude. And she's like, no, just all the way around. You don't take up as much space like in the world. Wow. And yeah, that's a hell of a thing to yeah. hear. Like, <laughs> man, cause, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine what emotions you're going through having your daughter watch stuff that you made when you, you were her yeah. age. Mm hmm. Wow. It's really been cool. And uh, she actually still, um, I bought her a new camera strap today for the camera that I've been using since I was 15. Oh, Josh. Oh, the same film camera, the same Minolta camera. Josh, God damn it. 
Every time we record an episode, you make my heart grow an extra size, and eventually I'm going to have a Grinch moment where it's just going to like break my frame of my heart box, and I'm going to be a nice, happy person. Josh, it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it was a very big moment. And I wish my dad would have done that for oh, me. Yeah. I do. I, I love having, being able to have these connections with her in that way. And also introducing her to other people like Alyssa, who did our wedding photos for us. Uh, yeah. You know, Alyssa was the only person that wasn't family that was invited because she was the best photographer we knew. <laughs> and it was like. Oh, she's the best. She's amazing. Yeah, she's of fantastic. Yeah. Before she moved, she offered to take uh, Kira on a photo walk with her. She's like, well, let's go have a photo date. Uh, and go take pictures. Aww. I'm like, oh, it's so good. It's still is Kira the one who also bought my clothes, or you yes, bought she is. my clothes for her? Yes. Oh my god, I love her already. Great sense of style. <laughs> Very sad. I saw, I've seen some pictures you've posted of her, and I'm like, yep, I recognize yep. that top, and it looks awesome on her. <laughs> Not in a weird way because she's a child, but you know what I mean. You she all are great. making me glow. The way Amelie made that blind guy glow after she described every single little thing that she yes. saw as she walked him across the street and down the block. That's how my heart feels right now. God, that was beautiful. Oh, uh, and that was a beautiful scene. Like she was just so she was bursting with love and, and mm -hmm. joy and he was like taking it all in. It's great. I love that scene. Um uh, to bring it down a little bit around this time somewhere so uh, I don't remember who says that her or maybe it's the narrator said her dad died without her trying to give him the breath of life that she had given to so many others and yes. man if there's oh, not yes. a line that hits harder home for me than that of like my dad knew me when I was like a really mm -hmm. pessimistic person into my early 20s and stuff but then we didn't talk for like multiple, multiple years. And that was kind of like when I found my peace and stuff. And, but, and so I, like, I, I try to be like a rock for my friends and be someone like my friends can always vent to and they can always come to me and try to work out their problems. And I won't give you answers, but I'll just listen and try to help you find your answers. Um, but I never was able to give that to my dad. And that's, so that's a line that like, God, that went straight to my heart. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I get that. And I guess kind of relating the bombs and, uh, Amelie to this where it's like, who knows if my parents will listen to this, whatever. But I feel like I can't be myself around them in the sense of like, I think I am, a, I have a lot of life and love and excitement to give to people and the people that gave me an opportunity to live my life. I just can't relate to on so many levels. So I can't let them know who I am. Like intrinsically, I just don't think that it would work out <laughs> for me. And I, that, that sucks. So I understand that completely where I give a lot of, I have, I feel like I give a lot to people and I don't know if they appreciate it or they give it back in the sense that I feel like maybe family would, but I don't feel safe to do that. If that makes it's sense. Things are you know? really complicated with family. Yes. And I mean, my relationship with my mom, <sighs> it's not like we have a perfect one. It's it's better than what I had with my yeah. dad. But my God, there's like, like I was talking about, like being able to share real harsh truths with a friend like Josh. 
there's like so yeah. much that I feel like cannot share with close family because of the implications yeah. or because of like I have two sisters and so no matter what happens mm -hmm. even if I ask for secrecy and I'm like a vault for the family but nobody else is so I can't like confide in right. my sisters because sister will get yeah. around to mom like yeah. it, it always gets around you know I understand yeah I understand that so and that's that's kind of the magic of friends is it's like the family that we make doesn't come with the baggage that we like you know we can just rely on these people without worrying about the past 34 years of all the other bullshit that's happened leading up to this you know yeah yeah no i agree where it's like that family you choose kind of deal and i feel like in a sense amelie kind of does that even if she's not like a front seat driver for all of those things i i kind of understand like yeah her family kind of sucked and she didn't give her dad what she could have given everyone else, but she chose that consciously or subconsciously to do those things for other people. And again, relatable. I understand that of like not giving your best to people that maybe have given you what they could give you in your earlier stages of life. But the beautiful thing is she does get to give that to her father. She does. Because yeah. that line comes from one of her, uh, her flash forwards where she's viewing her own funeral newsreel mm -hmm. footage of her own funeral. Right. And at least in the storybook world, she gets that resolution with her dad. Mm -hmm. um, and the beautiful thing is we don't actually see him tell her he's going to go on a trip and experience the world. She just wants him to get out of his house and out of his rut. Right. Um, we see him leaving through his front gate with his, with his luggage. Uh, and we know that it was her that pushed him on, even if he doesn't. Yes. Because of the serotipitious. Surreptitious? Surreptitious. Thank you. Surreptitious <laughs> way that she has done it, uh, gone about it. Um, but I think that that, you know, those moments where she's, where she, because she says that line to herself, essentially, even though it's the narrator saying it. She's sitting there and viewing her life as if she has passed on and what she couldn't give to her father. Uh, and so she's telling herself to do that for him. So mm -hmm. it's sad in the moment, but also it's a wake up call. And it is kind of a, yeah. I think, a, a call to action, a call to be able to do something better, a call to be able to be that impact in someone else's life if you can. And I think that it's, you know, in the story, yeah. it plays out like that. Real life is different. Alas, but. But yeah, for the context of the movie, it is very, it is nicely packaged in that sense. I agree. That's a very eloquent way of putting it, too. Yeah, that is one of the smartest things I've heard. <laughs> what did you say about us? <laughs> no, I think everything you say is incredibly intelligent, Josh. And that's the way you talk about movies and analyze movies. So I, I need to put that out there. That every he time also we has a good voice, anything. doesn't he? You have a great voice. I say like, as, yeah. as my voice cracks in halfway through <laughs> that sentence. Oh, me too. I'm just like, oh, he has a good <sighs> voice. Right. Yeah. God. Um, Courtney, I have a weird voice is what I've learned listening back and editing these. Ep I've edited the past two episodes of this show. Yeah. And listening back to them for a couple hours each. Um, yeah. I don't know what the hell is going on with my accent. I'll be real with you. I feel like that is just a product of 
you probably being a fairly well-adjusted human being who's not totally self-obsessed, who has to listen to your voice a lot of times. Because, like, I think your voice sounds perfectly fine. I don't notice anything weird about it. I've heard some weird voices before in my Multiple time. Multiple people in my life have told me I sound like I'm from Vancouver. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Interesting. Okay, I guess I get Which? a little bit... I can see that. I get a little bit of a non-accent, too. I'm from Ohio, where we're known for not having not a non-accent whatsoever. I, I think you have, like, the most non-accent. I, I can't place you at oh, all. God. I have no idea where you're from. Oh, thank God. That's great. Because I, I think that's probably just a product of, product of me just being, like, just sound normal, whatever that is. So like, <laughs> I, I could not, I could not place you either. Josh, same deal. You all sound very intelligent, eloquent people who could be from anywhere. Honestly. I think I just seen too many movies. And so there's just certain character affectations. And the only one that can really come to mind right now is there's a line from, um, the wedding singer with Ad, Adam Sandler. Oh, yes. His, his yes. buddy's doing the limousine test. And at the end, he goes, they were cold. Yes. And and I feel like <laughs> I somehow that seeped into me. And so I still embody that like cold kind of like accent. And yeah. it's just inside me. And it's like, so like I worked with cones. And so I don't know, cones. man. I don't know yeah. what's going on. That movie. But I don't I worry mean... about it. Like I'm used to it now. Like, I don't think. I have a weird voice. I just think my accent is not from San Diego and I don't know where it's from, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I no longer cringe. North. I no longer cringe when I listened, uh, when I listen back to our episodes. So that's something, right? Yeah, that is good. That self-love is important and self-evaluation is also important. And I think like, I don't, yeah, I think Northern where whatever the Northern means to you, I think that when I hear your voice, um, and yeah, I, don't I would think have that's been weird. a I would have been a blue coat, not a gray coat. Yes. So take that with what you will. Josh, I think also has a very non-accent as well. I just don't um I don't I can't place you either. Where I'm like, you could be the South, you could be from California, you could be from New York. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know, because I yeah, I don't know. I think I, I can absorb accents well enough, but like just when me being by myself for a long enough time, this is just how I sound. And that's fine. It's nasally. I realize it's very nasally. No, I don't think you're nasally. It, I, it's, yeah. Listen, I editing my own podcast. I know I sound nasally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> From do having to sit for hours of like, good God, Courtney, blow your fucking nose or do something. Get your septum moved. I don't know what you got to do. Okay, That's, so yeah. totally a, a secret of mine is that yeah. I did have uh, my my sinuses enlarged. Mm -hmm. They do a surgery where they stick a balloon up your nose and into your sinus cavity. Yeah, and then they ex they expand it, breaking all the bones this in your in your sinuses, uh, and it expands the cavity and makes it bigger. So they Does it help? they broke my. Oh yes, they broke my nose. They here. I look like I had big, big black eyes. Um, yeah, and like it was horrible for a little while. I had to sleep sitting up for a week. Um, a just constant bloody drainage, which was yeah. kind of nasty yeah. to wake up with, like running in my beard <laughs> all the time. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it was entirely worth it. I had such bad um, sinus infections yeah, for the several years I... leading up to getting the surgery. 
Yes. Yeah. I just had, I just yeah, so, completed a pretty nasty one myself and I had to get antibiotics for it, which I haven't had to do in a long time. That is a good, that is good to know. Just to get my, my, my sinuses, sinuses expanded, get my tonsils out. I just, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think I would sound like this if I didn't have so many like issues, like uh, 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 outer issues with that. You know, I think I would sound, I don't know, like I've been told I sound like Aquafina to an extent, but she has a huskier voice, which I would love to have a huskier voice. You know, that's why I smoke uh, CBD cigarettes. <laughs> I just want to, I just want, Good yeah. Good Lord. I, my face throughout Josh's entire explanation of that was a face of horror. <laughs> I'm into it though. I'm like, whatever will fix me. That is just, I just want to yes. not be the way that I am. That's the thing. It was totally worth it. Um, yeah. I, uh, I've had another friend who had it done, um, except for then he went and entirely fucked up his nose by doing cocaine constantly for like seven years. Uh, oh, well, that'll so, do it. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Damn. Oh. I had a lazy eye as a baby. And then I think so they did surgery. And then, but then over the years, basically, I, I had to get it adjusted as a teenager. And so. They cut open the lid and then they literally like t- detach the muscles and then like reattach oh, them to like god. pull the eye over. I had no yeah. idea that was how extensive that. Oh my god, that's a Dr. lot. Doctor Henry O'Halloran. He was a delightful Irishman, <laughs> and I still remember us talking to him about my dad and my relationship with him because oh, my dad had just been to rehab Sean. for the first time. And- <laughs> oh my! Oh, Sean. Oof. And he said, he gave me this piece of advice. I still remember. He says, oh, God. What does an Irish person sound like? Just. Oh, I can't. You're right. Well, he told me, you, you got to pull your socks up, is no. the advice that he gave me. Shit. And that has stuck with me for this whole fucking time. Pull your socks up. That's fair. That's a valid. That's valid. Yeah. That's good. It's a good piece that of advice. That's a good piece I of like advice. It. Man. Oh, man, that lazy eye surgery sounds horrifying. It sounds terrible. I just had to try to match Josh's disgusting description of surgery. I'm trying to think. <laughs> my own. I'm trying to think if I've had anything that intense. Um, I did dislocate my shoulder playing basketball, but that wasn't that. They just had to pop it back in. I don't know. I've I've lived a fairly Did that okay. Yeah. Is there instant relief when it gets popped back into place? Yes, because I've also slept there's that same shoulder. I was like um I don't know, ten or whatever. And that same shoulder has been all always a little bit looser, I feel like. So there's been times where I've slept and it's been like it just will like not be in place and then I just have to like move it in myself and I'm just like, Okay, great. I can go about my day. Um, but there's been times where I thought I've broken something, but it has been just like just things popped out of place where they've had to twist it and put it back in. Um, I played a lot of sports when I was younger. I don't know why it was a fucking waste of time because clearly this is what I do now. Um, <laughs> I was just such a I don't I was not good at them. My parents were like, "You're gonna be a sports star." I'm like, "Who are you talking to? Like, are you talking to the wall?" Because I don't know. My brother's a very good swimmer, so maybe that's what they were hoping for. I don't know. He still swims to this day. <laughs> good for him. Whatever. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> and. I, clearly, I don't care. And but yeah, popping my bones back into place or my joints was very uh, relaxing, but also kind of scary. 
it's just like it just would like lay there limp or it's like is it broken it doesn't feel broken but it's like not remotely in a natural state you know what i mean it was this it was my left arm i for the record my left shoulder when i would mm-hmm. pee would slightly dislocate oh. and it was something about the positioning of the left arm being the aiming oh. arm that would position my shoulder just right where after i'd have to yeah jolt it back into place and it's just the weirdest little thing and i just you just made me remember that it doesn't happen yeah, anymore i mean i was about to ask is that like a thing that still happens now no but my jaw pops once a day okay if i move my jaw when to the pee. right there's like a gigantic snapping we gotta get back on track i realize um i mean if we want to get into weird body ailments well shit i've got a list um mostly just me needing to talk call my gp and just see what she has to say about these things um so where were we in this movie about 18 seconds into the movie (laughs) no we've kind of been like shotgun approach jumping back and forth i kind of like how we're approaching this one um i do too I love, I love when she, part of this booby trap that she does with the, the creeper grocer's apartment is she yes. unplugs the lamp and then puts that pin through the electric cable. Yes. And when he plugs the lamp in, he screams so high pitched yes. and so loud. It's wonderful. It's the, it's the loudest yes. little scream. <laughs> I love it. I love that she like she is kind of like France's Batman. She's a vigilante, truly. Um, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. She's like um, a little bit of Robin Hood and a little bit of Batman, you know, a little bit of Zoe De Chanel all in one. It's great. Uh do babies swim underwater? Is that a thing? I mean, let's ask Nirvana. Let's just ask what about that Good Nevermind point. album? I'm just saying. Good point. <laughs> I mean, we saw my mom totally did that to me when I was a baby. Really? Uh, she took me to the YMCA. Yeah, the babies. Just the babies swimming. looked. The babies looked really happy when they were swimming. They did. They looked. I know. Like, none of I... them looked stressed out at all. And I mean, imagine they've been living in water for ten months. So this yeah. is just right. very natural to them. But. Yeah, where it's like, um, oh, just swimming around and just kind of sloshing around inside this area. Yeah, I I can't imagine that they were unhappy doing that, you know? Um, yeah. Josh, about 45 minutes ago, you asked which character I kind of attached myself to. Yeah, it's a place. Yeah, there's stories. Um, <laughs> the yes. baby. The one, no. guy, the one guy who says, it's like a really random cut at the end of the movie. It says, and then so-and-so was sitting there. And he read that the brain has more connections than there are of atoms in the universe. And his mind was blown or something like that. I was like, yes. I, 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 I've been that guy, like sitting out looking at the stars and somehow breaking your brain when you start to think about things in a larger concept, whether or not under the influence of psychedelics is he, neither here nor there. Um I get that. That's a really long pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I. 
<laughs> that's thinking. like the longest pause we've ever had on the show. Say it's the lag. It's the lag of the, on the stream. It's not. It's not anything to do with what we're doing. <laughs> no, I had a, <laughs> just I have bad internet connection. My connection just said it's unstable, just like myself. So, um, uh, that's all right. We'll fix it in post. The old God. Hollywood okay. adage. Yes. Um. Uh, my favorite part of this movie was when Amelie doctors that love letter and chops yeah. everything up and goes to Kinko's and scans it. Mm -hmm. When he, when she reads that letter, the audio is so chopped up, like it's twenty five mm -hmm. different letters all chopped together, and so you get like yes. a nighttime and then yes. war sounds and then jungle sounds and then train sounds. And it's like that really made me laugh. I did too. I love that. That was that's such a nice detail. And I think, yeah, I feel like much like we talked about with Tenenbaums, I feel like Amelie also, I mean, we mentioned this earlier again. I'm sorry if we've mentioned this earlier already. I don't actually remember. I can't tell you what happened five minutes ago. Um, I feel like it is very much a prototype of what movies <laughs> were after that movie. Like just, I think that that really set the stage for like how a lot of those indie movies were made. And I feel like I already said this before, so please cut that out. And I'm sorry for like trying to make a profound point yet again, me just repeating myself. Um, <laughs> but I feel like um, the director for Amelie, which I wrote his name down and I don't, I can pronounce it. Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Thank you. Cause I was going to sound very offensive if I tried to, I'm like, again, from Ohio, Jean-Pierre Jeunet whatever it would have come out terrible <laughs> just like that um it would have sounded just very like borderline like like you know rednecky um which is where I, how i was raised um uh i feel like him and wes anderson had maybe a similar kind of vision but wes anderson just leaned into it way harder and just continued that made that be his thing like wes anderson i feel like while it is his style is stuck perpetually in 2001 in that kind of stylistic form, but has like mm -hmm. made that work for him. And that's an auteur choice. Whereas the Amelie director, whose name I cannot pronounce, I'm sorry. Well, uh, I feel like I don't, I haven't seen anything else that he's made, but I feel like that was very much like dipping his toe into like whatever that style was at the time. And made, and Amelie was a pro product of that. You know what I mean? Well, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet Thank you. Uh, actually went to school uh, for, he was a, um, uh, studied animation. Oh, shit. That makes and sense. And his co- So much sense. Yeah. And his co-creator for these first few films that he did um, was, I believe, Mark Caro okay. or yeah. Caro. Uh, and mm -hmm. he is a comic book artist. So- these guys like definitely had that um, vibe and you can see like from mm -hmm. delicatessen uh, this one and Sean's favorite movie of the alien franchise. I alien Resurrection. completely forgot that this was by <laughs> that guy. Oh my God. This Same was weird. He did alien resurrection. Then four years later did Amelie <laughs> alien. Res oh uh -huh. my God. Courtney, have you seen Alien Resurrection? It's been a very long time, but yes. There's a wonderful scene where Sigourney Weaver, who's now a clone, yes. is showing off her clone skills by playing yes. basketball around yeah. Ron Perlman's head. And it's, yeah. ju it's like the yeah, movie's preposterous. It has this weird grain to it. 
At one point, yeah. the guy from Along Came a Spider is drinking whiskey that comes in <laughs> a cube that gets shot by a laser, and then the laser yeah. shoots the cube, and then that becomes liquid whiskey. Like, that movie's <laughs> preposterous, and Gorley and Rust hated it. I I think it's 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 the good kind of bad. This is what I think that I movie is. I need to revisit is. it. But the fact that he did that to this. It's been a very long time. And then after that, I have not seen... I've heard of Delicatessen. Mm-hmm. And maybe I've heard of City of Lost Children. But after Amelie, I haven't, I haven't heard of any of his stuff. Sean, you would like Delicatessen. Um, I can tell you right now. Uh, I think with your Green Butchers uh, love... It would be a good double bill with that. Um, City of Lost Children is uh, features Ron Perlman again, and it's very like uh, Guillermo del Toro almost okay. Okay. in tone. Yeah, but it's it's still storybooky and has that kind of um, uh, flavor to it. Um, so yeah, it's it's something. Oh, and a very long engagement. Oh. That's a heartrending war movie that I actually like, as opposed to most war movies, which uh, I'm not yeah, a fan that, of. I mean, I get it. They're all kind of the same. I mean, truthfully. Yes. You see one Tom Hanks war movie, you see them all. I'm sorry. I'll set it here. Uh, I watched that <laughs> Apple submarine Tom Hanks movie, and it was marginal. I don't know. Yeah. I feel it's like just, he's It's just real dumb. dry. Real, real yeah. dry. I feel like he's on the the he's on the down down he's 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 not I don't know I feel like the stuff he's choosing to do is very dad esque like something that he would like to watch which every dad I know loves World War Two I don't know why I don't know why yeah. that's how you get your emotions out he but doesn't whatever. realize we just need a you got mail too that's I would all love we that. Want. God, oh, I've like, watched. I I genuinely watched. You've got mail like four times as a kid because it was just. So I would watch movies because they were on, <laughs> and so I just end up watching. Like, I'll prove it to you. Tom Hanks is yeah. forking tons of caviar onto his plate, and Meg Ryan goes, "That's a garnish. That's my proof that yeah. I've seen. You've got mail." Nice. That's one of my brothers. My younger brother's favorite. Well, he's my only brother. My one of my brother's favorite movies is You Got Mail. He watches it really? all the time. Yes, he's 25. And that's something whenever I visit home, it just, it just, he's something he's like, let's watch You Got Mail. He likes that. He likes Tom Hanks in general, but like that's something that he really enjoys watching. Um, you Got Mail. There was some one other one he likes to watch, and I'm just like, oh, he likes rom coms, which I appreciate. Wow, good for him. Way to way to stand up behind what you like. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he really doesn't give a fuck. Like, I mean, we don't get along. Yeah, he must. He must not. Amazing. No, we don't. Give, <laughs> You've got males one of his favorites. We don't get along in a lot of senses, but I do respect that he just does not give a fuck what people think about him or what he likes. So that's fair, you know. You gotta respect you certain things. The, you guys remember the Travelocity gnome? No. Do you, was that yes. from this movie? I've always wondered that, and I'm sure I could simply Travelocity was at and find out a vacation traveling site, and they oh. had a gnome that would pop up all over the world, just okay. as in this movie. Okay. Um, at one point, Amelie is so wet for Nino that she literally. <laughs> Just turns into a puddle of water. 
Yeah. Yeah. God bless her. Yes. <laughs> she likes what I she like, likes. I like this movie starts to get more and more absurdist with the yeah. visualizations of her imagination. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. And a lot of it's preposterous. Like when the, the painting of the swan and uh, the dog or what, what's the other one that they're like talking back yes. and forth about her. Yeah. The yeah. dog wearing yeah. a cone and her pig lamp. Oh yeah. That's about it for my notes for Amelie. I just, I was so done with her playing the cat and mouse game at the end that when he's literally knocking on her door and they're standing with two inches of wood between their faces and she still plays the game. I wanted to scream at her. Like, the game is know, fucking like, over. Open the door. Same. I'm like, come on! Yeah. Like, bitch! Like, what the fuck are you doing? And Like, you know, we all know. You know, I know, we know. <laughs> We've been here for two hours, we all know. And, like, we knew the minute he came on screen, we knew. Ugh. I will, no, I'm with you. I will say, you I think... This, this poor guy think, all around town. So, in the end, I gave this movie a four out of five, and I think... The only thing that kept it from being on that Tenenbaums level for me was the runtime. I think this movie could yeah. have had 15 minutes cut off of it because it runs about two hours, 10 minutes or right, right mm-hmm. around there. And that's, right. that's yeah. a lot for a whimsical romantic comedy kind of story. Yeah, if it clocked in at like two forty five or one forty five, one twenty five, right around there, like a five hundred days of summer kind of like runtime would have been great. Cause it was, yeah, it it was just like a lot of like, okay, we get what's going on. Like once you kind of get through Act One, Act Two, I felt dragged on way too fucking long. Of like, yeah, we know she likes this guy, he likes her too. They're gonna fall in love, but why does it have to be an hour long saga of them barely interacting? Uh- you know. The magical moments also became fewer and far farther between in Act Two. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. I just felt like the movie lost a bit of that that flow, which is so exciting when it when it starts and like every character has a montage yes. and like the movie's just going and like throwing so much at you, but it's going so fast and she keeps breaking the fourth wall and looking at the camera and stuff, and then the second act hits uh, yes. and it kind of slows down into like a kind of normal movie. But then the third act mm-hmm. comes along and kind of picks back up and we get back into her imagination. But yeah, that second act, I think it could just be a little tighter. I think so, too. And that could have been cut down quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. It, um, uh, I think you kind of need the, the storyline with the lovers that she tricks into mm-hmm. being lovers. Uh, and then they fall apart again. Um, uh, like specifically, I think there's like one too yeah. many beats with them where we revisit them kind of in the middle. The same with the grocer. I think we get yeah. the point that he's mean and we don't have to see it over and over again, um, to accept what she does to him. Right. Uh, kind of the, you know, the pranks that she pulls on him. Um, and I don't know if you need two whole sequences of him falling for the pranks. Mm-hmm. Like, cause she goes back to the apartment twice he right. falls for the pank pranks twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that could have been condensed down. Yeah. Uh, be, be a little more manageable. Yeah, I think if it had been more, if it had been more anthology style, maybe where that presentation of mm-hmm. the grocer story 
is presented start to finish in middle of this movie and it moves more short story-esque as if as opposed to trying to interweave them all together i think so it might have been a more satisfying um, movie taking notes for it i was literally like the scene was like one line one line one line one Mm -hmm. line because it jumps so quickly from thing that's happening to thing that's happening uh you know, in kind of the the five different main locations, it rotates through them really quickly. So, you know, I'd like this to be like Master and Commander. Master and Commander has one big overarching plot, but then inside of that, there's like six short stories that are often basically presented as yeah. like little short vignettes inside of that movie, as opposed to having them all six yes. string along throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and you know, they they kind of approach and deal with each one. Yeah, um, I love I I love this movie though. I just think it's a little, it's a little complicated, a little bit long. Um, I yeah, I do love this on. movie. See, I think I would have loved it more if I saw it when I saw Ten Bomb, mm-hmm. like as a teenager, you know. But I really like now as like being uh, in my late twenties. I think it is. Um, I real I see why people really love this movie, and especially the people of the age group that I know who saw it at the time. I still really love it. I think it's a very well done movie. Um, but yeah, I think there are parts that I'm just like, okay, we get the point. Like you mentioned with the grocer, we could have gotten that in two beats of like, yeah, he's an asshole. He's shitty to his, his employee. Do the prank, do whatever, get out of there. Um, I think, yeah, I think something's dragged on a little too long just for the sake of indulgence. I don't know, but I agree. Good, good consensus, I think. Yeah, and I guess I would have liked a little more interaction with her and her love interest at the end, because I'm like, they just did the cat and mouse game. Then they're like, oh, we're in love. And I get that at the time period, the time in 20 years ago, that was like how movies worked of like, we barely know each other, but we're in love because of the yes. universe deems it. But I, I guess now as 2021, Courtney would have been like, can they have like coffee or like some sort of interaction that would show us that they have some sort of like chemistry? I don't know. Cause you really don't get that until the end. Yeah. They don't actually talk. I hate to admit this, but we've been expressing vulnerabilities that end scene mm-hmm. where they both delicately kiss each other three times on yeah. the cheek, neck and eyeball. Mm-hmm. It was so sweet that it sickened me because <laughs> I haven't had, affection oh like that in like oh. a long time so i was just like fuck these people fuck their Sean. happiness oh <laughs> i i i understand well you know what send me your dating profile we'll get that cleaned up we'll make sure that, that <laughs> we will yeah I, I i really believe with with our Cyrano de bergerac-esque setup with your words coming out of my profile <laughs> picture we can yeah. create one complete human being. Some superhuman. <laughs> yeah, one com- not even a superhuman, just a complete human. <laughs> well, Courtney, it was so wonderful to have you here on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. This was so much fun. This was preposterously long. <laughs> I don't even know what we're going to end up with as a runtime, but this was one of the most fun and deepest conversations, I think we've had on this show i don't know how josh feels yeah josh might hate it but i love it thank you so much um i had the best time this is so wonderful you guys are so easy to talk to and so fun and i really hope sean that you come into town and that i hope that the bell court 12 hours of horror happens i will go with you 
we'll make it a bachelor night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a great wing woman as I have yeah. led on. I've led many people to happy relationships. Hell yeah, we'll find we'll find someone that wants to transplant from the central to the west. I was gonna say that's how hard can that be, honestly. Yeah, we'll we'll see how the fire season goes this year, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, but guys, this was absolutely lovely. You guys are wonderful class acts, and I will talk movies with you anytime. I had a a wonderful time. Did you want to plug your podcast? This is the time to do oh, it. Oh, that's the whole reason why this I've is the official. This is the officially allotted time for you to do so. This is why I've waited four hours of me just yes. bullshit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Cut that out. I've had a wonderful time and a very intelligent conversation. Uh, again, my name is Courtney Warner. There is no you in Courtney Warner like Warner Brothers. Courtney Warner 13 on Instagram. Courtney M. Warner on Twitter. CourtneyWarner.com. Uh, you can find my po- my two podcasts, Murder She Joked and High Five the Podcast on Project Nerd and wherever you get your po- wherever you get your podcasts. And um, yeah, you can catch me in a karaoke bar singing uh, All Star by Smash Mouth. Look at the hubris <laughs> of Josh to start eating before we've even finished recording. I was going to say thank you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the middle of talking and Josh is like, oh, I'm done. Time to start I'm shoving done. crackers with pink frosting yeah. in my mouth. What are you I'm eating? Sorry, this is, that looks delicious. This, it's an amaretto cookie with pink frosting. Oh, It's delightful. Josh, I wish I could like enjoy cookies and still have your frame. <laughs> my I'm big saying. barrel frame. I mean that with all sincerity. But is that problematic? I don't know. I don't know. I. It's tough out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and on that hard. note, everybody, we'll see you in two weeks. Everybody, you have yeah. a great, great week. And um, we'll see you again on Nashville CA. Take care. Bye. Bim, 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 bim. Yay. Okay, I'll stop recording.